What's up? What's up? What's up? Today I am joined by John Prince. John is the perception coach. And this is actually part two of a conversation that we started last week on John's podcast where I was the guest. So John, for the people who maybe haven't listened to that podcast and um, haven't heard of you before, tell the people a little bit about yourself. Hey, hey, well, um, yeah, so I'm a mindset and performance coach. Uh, I've been coaching full time for around uh, four years now. And um, before doing mindset coaching, I was a professional poker player for around nine years playing mid stakes cash games uh, online. And then I made the the pivot into um, coaching. I became fascinated by what drives us to behave the way we do, how we can change that, how we can be the best version of ourselves. And uh, yeah, my purpose shifted. And then that's what I'm doing now. And that's what I'm up to. Awesome. I've got some uh, questions about that process, but let's start out. Give me a win that you got going on this week. What's going well for you? A win this week. Wow. Um, do you know what? I, I ran a, um, a, it's funny, I ran a group session on motivation this week and I was prepping the session and I was feeling pretty rough. I feel like I did a COVID test today and I was negative, but I really feel like that's probably what hit me. And I was a bit low energy. I wasn't really feeling it. And it was funny that I just like got myself into prepping for this session. And um, it's funny that I, I was diving into one part of the session was that I went into motivation as a myth. Right. Like we we want to get motivated. It's one of the things I get asked about a lot. Like, How can I get motivated? How can I stay motivated? And really like motivation is the result of action. It's not like we get motivated and then we take action. It's like we take action and then we get motivated. And I was actually going through the process in prepping this session. And uh, as I got kind of mid to, to towards the end of prepping, I was like laughing to myself at that. I was feeling rubbish, but I was just still doing it anyway. And then afterwards, I felt great. So it was like a win that I managed to kind of apply the stuff I was teaching and actually kind of push through in a time where I needed it. You know, there's times where we can take rest and we can take time out. And I've tried to do that in between, but I was still able to kind of get the job done, even though I wasn't feeling motivated. I mean, that's fair enough. Uh, for a long time, I've thought I was coaching myself and other people are just along for the ride. So I can completely relate to that. Uh, it's actually quite funny you say that motivation is a myth. I think I remember uh, European saying this to me before. Um, and he kind of said, like, you know, you want to go to the gym, you just start going, you don't feel motivated. But then eventually you keep going and you feel motivated, you start to see some impact. And um, I sort of have this uh, process that I outline growth as like, and this, the first stage is inspiration, right? Uh, you get inspired about a change you want to make. Maybe you want to start being consistent with meditation or you want to lose some weight or you want to get in the gym or you want to find a girlfriend or a wife or a partner. You want to change something in your life. And then the next stage, I've been really back and forth on what to call it, whether I call it motivation or momentum. Because for me, it's kind of like, okay, you're inspired. Let's say you want to go to the gym and you're like, yeah, I'm going to get in shape. And then you start going because you had this idea that I'm going to get in shape. And in the beginning, it's like you start like seeing some changes, some things are uh, going well, you might lose a, a kilo on the scale, you start to see the, the bulge in your muscles, and you're kind of like, yeah, all right. And in this stage, it's like the snowball has started to roll, you know, you've got a little bit of momentum, you're, we call feeling motivated, you wake up, you're like, yeah, let's do it, you know. But then, of course, we're going to hit this uh, plateau, you know, the plateau of latent potential, as James Clear calls it, in Atomic Habits. 
that period of time where you're not getting exceptional results. And this I call like the, the discipline phase. And if you can go through that discipline phase, which is showing up anyway, even if you don't feel motivated, you don't feel particularly inspired, you start to stack that proof that you are who you say you are, that you're this you know, person who goes to the gym, this person who becomes fit at the end of the rainbow. And that sort of informs the last stage, which I call the identity stage. And I think every kind of uh, mindset coach, you know, you'll find them talking about identity because this is like where the rubber meets the road. You know, eventually you're not the guy who's trying to meditate. You're a meditator. You're not the guy who's trying to go to the gym. You're like a, a fit person. Um, and I've really struggled. Like, what do we call stage two? Is it inspiration, motivation, discipline, identity? Is it inspiration, momentum, discipline, identity? Because inspiration, it's going good and then it's not. And then eventually you prove it to yourself anyway. Mm. I would, I, I would call it per persistence, right? So, you get going, and and it, momentum's really important because it's one of those things where it happens. It's like motivation, right? So it's a myth because it's not something that you're going to have long term. Action is something you can do long term, which comes from persistence. If we're persistently and consistently taking action, then it's what can lead to results. But like momentum, something it's like when it's there, double down on it. You know that it, with a tennis player, when they win a couple of points, that's when they want to push harder because their opponent is just starting like their head's going down. They're getting in their head. Their critics starting to like berate them. You want to push them further and harder because that's where you can really kind of demoralize them more. And with ourselves, when we've got that momentum, you do something like if you're doing sales and you you get a sale through. You want to do some more sales. Like if you're a poker player and, you know, you may have had this in your own career or seen this, like when someone wins a tournament and it's like, then it's like two or three back to back to back. It's like the momentum's there. Things are happening. You're thinking in a way that's powerful. You're taking decisive action. You're feeling good. It's like, why not ride the wave? So you can be taking action, but why not double down when things are going well? So that momentum's great. Same with motivation. If you have like a natural level of it, just because sometimes it hits us, it's like use that and ride that wave. But then when it goes or when it dips, that's when we can use persistence to keep on going. And one of the ways to do that is just keep on taking tiny actions when you don't feel like it or you don't want to do it. So when I first set up my, my Instagram page, I made a commitment to... Um, and commitment's another thing that's very important. That's the long-term thing if we commit to it. I made a commitment to post a video and a quote every single day for a year. And there's so many days when I just didn't feel like it or I was tired. Or I remember one day I got to the end of the day and I got in bed and I hadn't done anything. And I literally got my phone out and filmed myself in, in my bed and just posted it because I had that commitment. I was really kind of, I'm pretty weird when it comes to commitment, but the persistence of like doing it a little bit every day what what we see and what we do every day, our subconscious sees it as important because we keep focusing on it. It's like when we're negative towards ourselves, we keep trying to fix a problem. Our brain sees it as something that it wants to give us more of, so we do more of it. If we're taking consistent actions on the thing that's important to us, our brain's going to deem it as important because it's like, why is this person doing this every single day or so much? It must be important. And that's why like advertisers, they'll put like, coca-cola is on adverts you see it everywhere and then when you're on a hot day and you're thirsty and you're like oh really fancy a coca-cola where did that come from it's because you've seen the adverts well if we're doing that with our actions every single day and making something important 
that's what can kind of keep us in the game when we're flagging and we we don't really want to do it. It's interesting. You sort of made me realize that stage two and stage three overlap. So it's not like you're inspired, now you're motivated, then you need discipline. It's like there's this period between the inspiration and the identity. And during that period, there's times where it feels easy and you're walking on clouds, you've got momentum, you're motivated. And then there's times where like you need to be disciplined, you need to be persistent, you need to exercise some of these habits. You got to get yourself one more rep, you know, uh, just do it, you know, just take one small action in the direction of your goals. Cause it's like, you know, it, it oscillates and, and it's not always like a bunch of easy days followed by a bunch of hard days or vice versa. It's like, you know, some days you're the fly, some days you're the windshield. Mm. Yeah, uh, it's go ahead, sorry. Yeah, as I was gonna say, it's like uh all those different stages that they can they can flow in, in the stages, but then they can also shift. It's like someone's identity can shift instantly. And then that's when like their behavior can change overnight, you know, and you see somebody quit smoking or literally get in the gym and then they're all of a sudden they're going because they might have just gone for a breakup and they're like, right, I'm gonna show this person I am this person, and then they go for it. So it's like there's a natural flow to it. And especially when you're doing things over time, but we can, we can play around and manipulate with those different um, aspects of it as well. We can play around with, once we get like aware enough with ourselves, we can play around with identity. You know, when, when we're not aware, when we're kind of in default mode, identity is very, very rigid and it's very fixed. But when we're more aware, when we're more open um, and when we're, not kind of judging ourselves and, and set in stone like that identity starts to become a little bit more malleable a little bit more um moldable and then we can start shifting that into how we want it to be and that's like a deep deep place to come from which is uh really fun when it comes to taking actions yeah it's very interesting you brought that up because um like in my program the way i designed it was uh sort of mirroring experiences that i had which was like in the beginning i take people through like stack the proof, you know, the kind of the, the tried and true method, right? And then like later in my life, I realized I was able to have these kind of breakthroughs where I no longer had to do something, you know, 800, 1,000 times, 10,000 hours to like start believing I can do it. I had a belief shift and then all of a sudden it was easy to do it. And like all the, all the struggle was gone. And in my program, basically I take people through first learning to build the habits, the tried and true consistent way. And then I'm like, all right, now let's try this. And, um, you know, as a coach who does breakthrough sessions with people and, you know, having been to events like Tony Robbins, things like this, you start to see that um, that way to change faster than a lot of people don't even know exists. Mm, it's it's funny because um, the, the, the identity that we have, like whatever comes after I am um, is completely changeable. And that that's like, the really exciting part because we're saying this every day like when you said oh tell us a bit about yourself and I'm like I am a coach and I was a poker player it's like these are that's me but you know there's so many more different roles I'm a dad I'm a friend I'm a brother I'm a son um I'm a golfer I'm a footballer it's like all these different things it's like all of these are changeable and we get so set in them um but it's really, really fun when we play around with them and try different things on and, and also see that how changeable they are as well. Uh, it's interesting. I think Patrick Leonard posted something today. It was a quote from somebody I don't recognize, but they were basically saying like to their daughter, 
don't let me hear you say I can't. You know, maybe you don't know how yet. Maybe you're going to fail the first time. Maybe you're going to need to try again. You know, 10 different ways didn't work. But don't say I can't do it. Just, you know, keep learning from your experience and keep trying again. And it's a, it's a uh, clear-cut example of a limiting belief. We say, like, I'm not good at math or I'm not good at sports. And then, you know, you just kind of disqualify yourself from being on the path to improving at it. And as soon as you change that belief, that like, I can't believe, well, now the progress starts to go much faster because you'll never really get great at something when you're standing fully in your own way. Mm, it's, um, it's funny that the language that we use is what is driving us. I mean, essentially we understand life in language. We describe everything in words. And then that creates the experience that we have. So when we're saying like, I can't do something, it's like we're experiencing life objectively. Like, you know, you're sat in front of me now and we're having a conversation. And I think that it's objective, but it's not. It's like I'm perceiving you in a certain way. I'm perceiving this conversation in a certain way. I'm perceiving myself in a certain way. And it's all happening in my head through language. And when we put that um, subjective experience of like, I can't do something onto the particular thing that we do becomes pretty real like like properly like a stop sign when ultimately we've got to the road and we're stood by the side of it and there's the option to cross and when we say i can't do it it's almost like i don't want to cross that's what our subconscious is getting and then it's like crossing the road doesn't become an option so we think well in order to get like i could walk straight across the road to get where to where i want to get to which could take 30 seconds if i just wait and see if there's any traffic or the other option is I have to walk all the way around to the end of the road, to the other side, to get all the way around to the other side of the road, which might take me like half an hour just because it's not available. And, you know, we, we can have clear cut examples like that where we say I can't do it and we can start to become aware of that and see that we're doing it. But there's so many things we're doing where we think we can't do something um, and we have no clue that is available to us until either we try it for the first time or somebody else gives us a nudge and says do it i mean it's the classic example in the gym um i used to when i lived in australia before i used to go to the gym with my friend uh jez and he was super super fit he had like six pack and all that stuff he's like um really in great shape and uh he trained me and we would train and um he would you know i would be like i can't lift that weight like, come on you can do it and then off we go and i'm like lifting it this is amazing or um, we go out for a run and it's like, I can't do it. I'm too tired. And he's like, you can, let's go. And just having someone like pushing me along a little bit further within six months, I got into really, really great shape. And then when I came back and I was playing poker, I used to go to the gym with my friend and then I'd train him and it'd be the same story. And then he would be getting fitter as well. So being able to like give ourselves that actual evidence that we can is I think you, you mentioned, you know, previously but before about evidence stacking, like getting that there in front of us is a great way to really change those beliefs. Yeah, I mean, I think you have to believe in the potential rather than the current status quo, you know, like believe that you can become different than you might be in this moment. Um, and if you can become different than you are in this moment, then the I can't story isn't true. If that makes sense. Because I mean, like, for example, there's a lot of people who might be shy and they might see like they might go out to a bar, see a girl they want to talk to. And they're like, oh, I can't just go talk to her. Well, sure, you can. You know, you just put one leg in front of the other. But like they feel that they can because they habitually don't and they feel paralyzed by anxiety. So they don't. So they keep saying, 
I can't, I can't. But if they push themselves out of their comfort zone, if someone encourages them, like makes it fun for them, then they might try and eventually build positive reference experiences, having conversations with new people, having a better time than standing around with their hands in their pockets. And eventually they become a more social version of themselves. And it's like, they never, they never thought they could do that, but of course you can do that. If anyone can do it, so can you. It's just a matter of building that, those positive reference experiences, but you can't even start to build them if you're just, you know, diametrically opposed to the goal. You know, you're like, I want it in theory, but I'm not willing to take action. Mm, and and like all of that is based on who we think we are. And also, you know, you mentioned the word potential and potential is about what we think is possible for ourselves. And that's really how far our, our imagination can go of what we think is possible. Um, if we're living into our default future, which most people are, we're just kind of playing life the same way because our subconscious is just deciding for us. Um, it's all based on the past. So what's possible for us in the future comes from the past. We think we're living into a blank open space, but we're not. We're living into what's been possible for us in the past. This is what I can do. This is what I can't do. These are my limitations. Well, potential is like the possibility of how far we can imagine ourselves to go. And Neville Goddard said imagination is seen with the eye of God. And, and God is really kind of connecting to you know, you can call it the universe or source or really like everything that's possible. So yeah, as far as we can imagine, say again, like seeing with the eye of possibility, you know, because yeah, the universe and, is by definition, it's everything, you know, everything that was, is, could be multiverse, you know, every which way. So, yeah, I love that seeing with the eye of God. So then if, if the universe is everything, we're connected to everything it then means everything's available to us. So the only thing that's really going to limit us in a rigid, rigid way is like our current level of identity of who we think we are. Like, I'm not someone who could go over and speak to that person. So a great place to kind of get started with this is actually just taking our identity out for a start, taking ourselves out of the situation. And it's rather than like, well, what are they going to think of me or what might happen? Or I'm not someone that can do that. If we take us out, then it's just like, what would I like to do? It's like, well, maybe I'll just have a conversation. And then we open up like a space where somebody new can show up. Like it doesn't have to be me that can or can't. And what are they going to think of me? It's just like, I'm a space that can go over and have a conversation. And that kind of space is where we can create new identities, but new contexts for ourselves to live into, um, which is really, really fun and opens up uh, new options that we just couldn't see before, which is some of the stuff that I really love. Yeah, I mean, you said a lot, there's a lot to respond to. Um, one of the things that stuck out for me is like taking your identity out in social situations will help me a lot is trying to think about the other person and the experience they're having. You know, if you see somebody, whether it's a girl, whether it's a guy, you know, just somebody who's standing there and they might be feeling, you know, awkward and nervous as you. And if instead of thinking, are they going to like me? Are they going to be annoyed that I talk to them? Whatever. Like, huh, could I make them feel more at ease? Could I make them smile? Could I make them feel comfortable? You know, like you're at a music festival and you're in a big crowd of people. It's like kind of biologically uncomfortable to be in such a herd of people. And then, you know, you can kind of kind of defend your little space in the crowd and, and like be hard shouldered to the people around you. Or you can sort of like, you know, recognize that they're having the same experience as you all huddled in this, you know, dirt pit trying to watch Avicii or whatever it is. And you can kind of pat them on the shoulder and say, hey, how's it going? You know, where are you from? And kind of make the other people around you feel at ease. 
And you do that by like thinking more about them than about yourself. Mm, yeah. So it's like the more we're self-focused, the more we're self-conscious. Um, and this is the difference between like being self-conscious and self-aware. Self-aware is just noticing what how we're getting in our own way and what, what ways we're judging ourselves, you know, being critical of ourselves. Of, I can't do that. Or what would they think of me? Or this is what I, I'm not able to do. Um, or I'm going to look silly. But when we're just self-aware, we're just noticing that and then we can let that go and just show up and be present. And that's like a, a level of energy that's, um, you know, people connect to that because there's no like real pre-hidden agendas or there's nothing really getting that we're not getting in our own way. Um, and we open up that space of possibility. Yeah, I mean, it reminds me like one of my first mentors, they taught me this strategy that was not the kind of strategy I expected them to teach me. Um, they basically said before every uh, consultation you do with it, with a new prospect, a new person that you're talking to, just kind of sit down and put yourself in their shoes. Like get take five minutes, get into your heart and just sort of like try to get in an empathetic space, imagining here's this person coming into a call with a stranger with you, right? It doesn't know you, doesn't know what's going to happen. Like their life has brought them to this point where they're actually reaching out for help with something. They have a problem in their life. They want to solve it you know, they're afraid maybe they can and really just sort of like feel into the experience that they're having. And then you get on the call. And I think people feel that, that you're like there for them. And, you know, you always feel when you're on a call with someone and it's like, they're there for themselves. Like, you know, am I going to be sale number 10? And that nobody wants that feeling. You know what I mean? Mm, yeah. It's, it's funny because I've done hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of like coaching calls with new people that I've never met before. And I still get nervous before it. And that might be something I notice or it's something I don't notice. I'm just a bit more cranky or a bit more like jittery or whatever. And it's like, that's just part of the process. And in the beginning, it's like you're fighting that and you don't want that. And you're like, I shouldn't be nervous and I should be really relaxed and all this stuff. And then you just get used to it and you're like, I'm just not going to judge myself for it. And then it doesn't really become a problem. And all of a sudden that thing that might be there for a small period of time, it's just like, part of it and it's just part of the human experience and then it's not not weird and doesn't get in the way and um you know i used to i used to learn when i was get, getting into coaching learn about rapport it's like build rapport with somebody right because when you're in rapport with someone that's when you can you know for a coach you can coach them but what i see now is more about connection like we're here really to connect with each other first off we need to connect with ourselves and that means being present not getting stuck up in our head or thinking am i saying the right thing or worrying about it or if that's there just being okay with it right or if we're nervous being okay with that and then when we're there then we're able to connect with the person in front of us and that's where I see like there's rapport and rapport is really useful like you can get commonalities with people and everything but connection is like we're just generally connected and at that point we can have a deeper conversation or a more real or authentic conversation but that doesn't just like stop at person to person it's also connected to what we're doing right in an activity that we're engaged in it's if you're playing poker you're connected to the to the game connected to your to yourself and what you're doing any kind of hobby or activity um the more we're present with it the more we're going to like show up enjoy it and we're not really um judging ourselves for it or or we're telling ourselves we're bored or we're disengaged that's not there we're actually just being present with it and it's just a more fun way of uh, experiencing what we're doing and who we're being yeah, I mean, I totally agree. I think like oftentimes being nervous and being excited go hand in hand. They're almost like two different perceptions, of the same feeling. 
you know, like you, you see someone you might want to talk to and like, you know, I, I think I used to wait you know, one day. I won't be nervous. Like, no, yeah, you'll always be nervous, but one day you won't care. And you'll, you'll speak to that person anyway. And, you know, that's how I met my wife. So, you know, pretty important lesson. I think that, and yeah, you know, before this, before we hit record on the podcast, right? I was like, all right, John, I'm going to press record. I felt a little nervous. I don't know about you, but it's just natural. It's like, ah, oh, hitting record. Now, if I say something stupid in the next sentence, it's going to be like, I'm going to have to talk to my editor and say, I said something dumb. Can we take it out? You know? So I felt a little nervous, but you know, as we've been talking and having a natural conversation, I probably, whatever I was feeling is like, you know, 5% of that at this point, you know, 10 minutes, 15 minutes in. Yeah, it's funny. I got nervous then because I thought you said before I hit record, and I thought, "Oh, are you just about to hit record?" Then I was like, "We've been going for a while now, and uh, it, you oh, hit record." Yeah, no, I, okay. I, I realized you just, you you just made me nervous. I was like, "Wait, <laughs> yeah, just have a look. Are you? Is it recording? Uh, well, it is recording. Zoom says recording." Yeah, 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 um, yeah, for sure. And and it's a really important point you made, right? Is that nervousness and excitement? They're the same feeling that go on in the in the body. You know, we're nervous before we do something new. We're excited before we do something new sometimes, but that we want to do or that we enjoy. And so like they're all feelings that we can kind of harness and energy that we can use. And it's just how we use it um, that that's really important. But ultimately knowing like part of the human experience, it doesn't matter how confident somebody is, how experienced they are. If they're on new territory, they're going to feel a level of like nervousness um, because it's part of the, the human experience. And we just don't see what goes on inside other people's heads. And most people aren't really that open um, or forthcoming with what they're saying about what's going on inside their head. So we judge ourselves and compare ourselves. We compare the inside of us to the outside of other people. And then it creates this false um kind of contrast that means that oh well they're really confident and really certain and don't show any nervous any nervous any nerves and then there's me i'm really like nervous all the time and i meet new people and um it's just because they don't tell you so when we when we realize it's a kind of a level playing field that's what's going on for everybody else as well we don't judge ourselves for it it just becomes um something we can accept and then it doesn't become so much of a problem yeah i'd agree with that how much of a factor do you think like the state of your nervous system plays in that? You know, we have this nervous system, right? We have rest and digest and we have fight or flight, you know, um, I guess we have freeze and whatever else, but you know, it's usually sympathetic and parasympathetic. So like the same nervous uh, system activation, that's going to help you run away from a, you know, something that's going to hurt you is the same nervous system activation. that's going to take you toward doing something you want to do. I mean, you're not going to go, you know, talk to a pretty girl and rest and digest, right? You're going to be in, you're going to be in fight or flight. And um, same thing, like if you're a poker player and you're getting down to the final table of a major tournament, a major live tournament, like you're, you're not going to be in rest and digest. You're not, you're not going to be close to bed. You're going to be activated. So how can you be comfortable being activated and be comfortable being switched on? Cause you actually want to be switched on, right? You, you don't want to be switched off. You don't want to be in Netflix mode when you're playing a final table. Yeah, it's a really good point. When when we, you know, when we're in high stress situations and, and the stress isn't is not good for performance in high levels, right? When we are super stressed, uh, we lose the quality of our thinking. Like our IQ literally goes down mm -hmm. um, and we don't have access to what we want. It's like, say you've got 
90% access to everything when you're under threat or under stress, it's like psh, right down to 10, 20%. You you go on to autopilot mode um, and you don't have available like your creativity um, or what you want to do. I had the a directive experience, experience of this myself when uh, one of the first workshops that I ran in London, um, it, there was 30 people in the room and it was a big corporate company and I was running a workshop on time management and um, the room got settled and I got into it and then I started telling a story and it wasn't one I'd really rehearsed a lot. And I got 30 seconds in and I just blanked. I, the, the fight or flight click kicked in and I couldn't speak. And I just stood out looking at the room and the organizer was in the room. And I was like, oh, my God, just say something. And then the more I was like thinking about it, the worse it got. And um, I looked around the room and just one person I caught eye contact with and I could tell that they were just like, come on, you know, just you can do this. And <laughs> and that kind of got me out of it. And I just spoke and said stuff and then finally got the, some words out. It probably didn't make any sense. I threw a question out to the room. They started speaking, then the energy shifted and then I calmed myself down and, and regulated myself. We got into the session and in the end it, it went really well and the company ended up booking me for a whole bunch more um, workshops and they were super fun. And I learned I learned a really important lesson from that. There was number one is that when we shut down in those situations, you shut down. So if you can prepare for certain situations that you know are going to be stressful, then you can prepare ahead so that when you go into just automatic mode, rather than like shutting down, you can have something that you can do. So what I learned there was for the first, you know, few minutes of a workshop, if I'm going to be nervous, I want to memorize the hell out of it so that I don't like shut down and then I don't know what I'm doing. So that was a way of then, you know, in, in the uh, Marines, what they do is they train the, the soldiers over and over and over and over again for these high stress, high pressure situations so that when the trigger goes off, they don't need to think about what they're going to do they automatically have those reactions. So that's one thing we can do from a performance level um, is doing that. Obviously, there's times when we're performing and that's not the case. So what we can do there is just realize that the reason we're shutting down isn't because mostly is not because of a real threat. It's because of what we're thinking. Like I wasn't under threat in the room. I was just perceiving it as a threat or my brain was because it was like you're up in front of people talking and you might look stupid. And it's like, being in front of the tribe and if you make a mistake you're going to get thrown out and die that's what my brain's making of it but just understanding it's not true so when our like threat perceptions go off in the body realizing that it's more our perception of what's happening rather than a real threat that's a really really good thing understanding to come from because quite often when i'm triggered now i'll be like feeling out of control but as soon as i can become aware of like right, what am I thinking right now that's having me be stressed rather than the situation outside of me is stressing me? Um, coming from an inside out perspective is a really, really powerful way to, to start understanding it. And then there's like just literal things we can do to realize that if once we calm our nervous system down, regulate ourselves, then we've got more access back to the brain. So, you know, it can be deep breathing. What I would do in workshops, which worked incredibly well, is if I noticed that I started to get nervous, I would just stand there and make myself feel comfortable and not say anything and just relax and be present and not thinking so much or judging myself, but just get present. And doing that really, I would like just deep breaths, slow myself down. And then that would give me that access to think back. And then my thinking is available. And then I'm back in the room. I can use my creativity. So it's like 
learning how to kind of regulate ourselves is a really important part of it and um realizing that although the 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 nervous system goes off it's the um it's the sympathetic nervous system that's the one that gets us in trouble but although that's going off it's something we're thinking that creates it right and it might be stored deep in the body but there's a there's a way that we're perceiving the situation um that's creating that threat and so that's stuff that we we can work with um over time the other thing i'd i'd offer on this as well which is really important to get is um exposure over time it's called like in vivo training but like when you expose yourself to the thing you're afraid of over time like over and over and over and over and over and over and over again that sensitivity if you go in there and you know why you're doing it you're not being forced to do it no one else forcing you to do it you're choosing to do it that sensitivity level over time will just dramatically go down and that's where if you think about anything you've done that previously used to scare the hell out of you um, and now you're pretty competent at it and pretty comfortable um, it's because you've done it over time. Like for podcasts, I've done a number of podcasts now. So yeah, I still get nervous before I get on, but I know that within five minutes or so, I'm going to settle. It's going to be fine. Um, you know, getting up in front of a group of people. If I haven't done it for a long period of time, then it can come back and then you feel nervous. But I just know the process and then I go and give enough talks and do that. And then all of a sudden I can regulate myself more. Yeah, I mean, if I was 5% nervous for today, I was 50% nervous for last week when we talked the first time because I hadn't done a podcast in, I don't know, three months or something, you know? Um, that's a very good point. I mean, those, those repetitions of just doing things, like, you know, you get used to the feelings, like the whole, you know, the whole symphony of them. Um, you said something really interesting, and I want to touch on that. You, you talked about, like, doing breathing exercises when you recognize that you're, um, you're activated. And, you know, people say, yeah, breath, you know, doing breathing exercises is helpful. And I think a lot of people, like, if you're scrolling on Instagram and you see some diagram about box breathing, breathing, it kind of natural reaction for a lot of people is like, yeah, whatever, you know? Oh, yeah, okay. I don't want to be one of those people who, like, gets in an argument that has to take five minutes to go breathe in the corner, you know? Like, people don't really get how it helps. And what, what I recognized and what I kind of um, was able to make changes based on was it's like when my I used to be kind of unaware of my body so I was more mind identified and I think a lot of poker players were analytical you know you're behind the computer you're doing computational stuff all the time you are more like mind identified and it's less natural to be aware of what's going on in your body so a lot of times my breath would become shallow but I didn't know my breath became shallow because I'm not thinking about my breath I'm thinking about what did this guy three bet me with, you know? So I'd be playing and, or in any stressful situation. And I had no idea that my body had sort of changed so much. I didn't realize I'm carrying stress in my shoulders or my postures changed or any of that stuff. Cause I'm, I'm just problem solving in my head. And what I found was that when I got into a stressed sort of state of body, like my nervous system's activated, I couldn't think my way out of it because it's sort of like the body being in stress is like a fire and all my thoughts are like the smoke, you know? So I'm trying to like put out a fire with smoke. It's not going to work. Um, I'm thinking thoughts of the quality of my experience. So my body is all stressed. So I'm thinking like kind of racing negative thoughts, like, oh, you know, this isn't going to work or like, you know what I mean? Like, thinking thoughts that kind of make the fire bigger. 
in largely through way of awareness, you know, like kind of awareness is the superpower. And one of the main reasons to meditate is just to hone it. It sort of allows you to become the observer and to see my thoughts are racing. Probably that's a sign that I'm activated somehow. Let me check in with my body. Okay. Yeah. Like my body doesn't feel relaxed either. So instead of trying to solve the thoughts, because you're not going to problem solve very well in a state of high stress, as you said, you're like at 20% capacity. What if I put out the fire? Then is the smoke going to dissipate? If I, if I take a bucket of water in the form of breathing exercises and throw it on that fire, and now the fire's out or like largely out, now the space above the fire, the, the air in the room is going to clear because it's, it's not being contributed to anymore by the body. So this for me was, it was humongous to recognize that whenever I catch myself in like one of these thinking loops, it's not a think your way out of it situation. It's a breathing exercise, binaural beats, go for a walk outside, go for a bike ride, go to the gym kind of a situation. And then all of a sudden, this massive problem that I had doesn't feel like such a problem. Mm, I love that analogy about the the fire and the smoke because it's true, so true. When we're under that or in fight or flight, and we really kind of feel like we're under attack, like we lose that our thinking, and it's like, yeah, it's clouded. The smoke's in the way; we can't see straight. And what I'd add to that as well, it's almost like the the fire alarm's going off, but there's no fire, and it's reminding ourselves that that when we're in that state typically there's not really a real threat there's not really real fire it's just that the fire alarm's gone off something set it off and there's no yeah. fire it's, we need to panic just we need to just turn that off and then doing those breathing exercises is is a great way to do it is something i you know if, if you know that there's a situation that's coming up that you know you might be in a big if you're playing poker and you're in a really big pot for example um and you can see it building and you've got this awareness like i get nervous when the pot gets really big or when the when there's a more money at stake or I'm playing higher stakes, if you're practicing slowing your breathing down, you're going to give yourself like extra leeway on that, right? I know if before I'm speaking, if I get nervous and I knew I would get nervous, I'll slow my, my breathing down. I'll take deep, slow breaths instead of just breathing normally because it gives me an extra buffer um, in order to be more calm and regulate myself. And so if you're doing that as a practice, it's you've got psych, it's psychosomatic. So psycho, the, the brain, the thinking and soma, the body, they're, they're linked. So you, when we think that we're under threat, our body goes into like fight or flight mode. And then that sends a signal back to the brain saying we're under threat. And the brain's like, oh, we are under threat. And it sends a signal back to the body like you need to prepare for battle. And that process of going around goes round and round and round until like we break it and it's yeah it's hard to break that with thought when there's smoke in the way or when your thinking is skewed because your thinking is like no you don't get it there's no smoke alarm we're under threat so the higher you build your levels of awareness over time and the more you you realize like we're living in a thought-based reality like you know this isn't objective world that we're in this is very subjective and even more than that it's constructed world that we're in um, and we're the constructor then we can still experience situations that are challenging like this, um, but, but without truly believing them so much and then getting lost in them, which is also really useful. Yeah. Are, are you familiar with sunk costs fallacy? 
yeah i love i love that one because it makes me think of like you know like you're going on holiday or something you pay the deposit and then you're gonna have to pay a whole lot more to go on the trip and you don't want to go and it's like oh well we paid the deposit now so we might as well go i just think of shit coins but you know it's it's the same you know um but the reason it came to me in this uh, in this discussion is because like for anyone listening who doesn't understand that or hasn't heard of this concept before, sunk cost fallacy is when you have an investment or a way of doing things. You have something that you're attached to because you've already spent some kind of resource in it, time, energy, money, but it's not actually working out for you. So you're holding some investment that's going to go to zero. You're, you know working with someone who you've got to know really well, but you realize you don't want to work with them anymore. You're um, in a relationship you realize isn't for you, but you've been in it for a long time. Any of these situations. But one of these areas where it's very insidious is ways of thinking and ways of dealing with problems. So very often you're on a coaching call with someone, they might be 25, 30 years old, and their entire life, they have kind of believed they had a lot of problems. And that all their problems had these long, complicated, intricate, very specific solutions to these very specific, intricate, unique problems. And it's almost like you're so bought into the complexity of solving your problems and how, how many problems you have and how difficult they are, that it's like you're too far down the path. It's very, there's a lot of resistance to this idea that all that stuff might seem like not such a big deal if you just brought this, the heart rate, the breath under control. And, you know, if you went through high school, trying to solve all your problems in your head, college, your early jobs, all this stuff, your whole career up until now, you know, 25, 30, however many years, trying to solve things in your head. And some, you know, some life coach on Instagram tells you to control your breathing. You're like, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. But you know, I shit you not, try it first. It's like all these things, like most things, when you calm down, the solution's obvious. Unless you just don't have the technical skill or don't know something that you need to know. But in many cases, when we're obsessing about a decision, we have, like, do you really lack information to make that decision? If yes, you know, for sure, get the information. But very often, you've read 10 books on the topic. You've talked to 10 different people. You have a preponderance of information to make the decision with. What you lack is the, like, calm state of mind to feel comfortable making one. If that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. It's, you know, quite a lot of the stuff we we read, especially when we're coming from this the skeptical mind. Um, I was having a conversation with... Um, somebody recently and I said you know that one of my favorite phrases is have a mind that's open to everything and attached to nothing because that's what's going to make available to us what we need but we're so skeptical right we have such a skeptical mind of like oh no like that's not going to work for me or that might work for them or yeah well everybody says that but and and I remember reading all the mindset books when I was playing poker and it's all the same like make sure you get your nutrition right make sure you get plenty of sleep make sure you exercise and I'm like, well, it's so standard, like, yeah, obviously, but thinking like I was already doing it. And it's like, no, how, what is the quality of those for you? Are you really getting good quality sleep? Are you um, exercising well? Are you eating well? Are you thinking about this? And when, when you're doing those things, it's like the basics work because they're fundamentals, 
but when it comes to you know this being aware and being being present is what i would say is like ultimately anything that's triggering us anything that is causing us to go into a fight or flight state or causing us problems is always in the past right because even when we experience pain i remember reading this in um, byron katie's book um loving what is talked about like pain is always past based right if you bang your knee or a child bangs a knee and they're like ow mm. that really hurts that the really hurts is in the past it's like when we have a headache and the headache comes in um and we feel it and we're like oh my god my head kills it's so bad it's so and now we're in it and then we're bringing it with us from the past and we're repeating it and bringing it into the future versus when we really notice and pay attention to like what what am I feeling right now? And what am I thinking about my feeling? You know, I'm thinking that this hurts. I'm thinking that this does, I don't want this. I'm thinking that I don't know how long I'm going to be able to stand this for. Then we see how much of the problem we're starting to then generate ourselves and then bring with us into the future or, or carrying on with us into the present. And so many of those things, we keep rehashing them we're kind of then re-triggering ourselves and re-threatening ourselves and then it stays with us so bringing ourselves back into the present like being in the body is being present with our experience we're not in that thinking that keeps the problem going and just that like getting that understanding that as a basic premise of awareness is like really really useful yeah and i think there's maybe no greater example of that than say the end of a romantic relationship you know, you're dating somebody, you break up, it happened, the relationship's over, yet our mind, we might feel bad for a time because it's just, it can't stop the habit of thinking about what happened and what we could have done differently and what we might learn from that. And was this the right decision? Was that the right decision? All of these thoughts. And it's like, how do I get over somebody? It's like, well, quite literally, you get your brain out of the habit of thinking about that person. Now, there may be more to it to that in like an emotional context, but I think it's um it illustrates how simple but not easy sometimes it can be for people. You know, sometimes you it's quite clear it's like, oh, well, just stop thinking about it. But like attention is sticky. And we thought about it yesterday and the day before, every day for the last however many years. And our brain is really good at thinking about it. It's got a lot of shortcuts and pathways developed and devoted to thinking about this situation that's in the past so you know when when mindset coaches talk about rewiring your brain i mean this is a real thing your brain is neuroplastic and when you go to sleep at night it gets better at thinking about all the stuff you thought about and in order to do that it kind of prunes some synaptic connections that you're not using anymore so quite literally the 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 process of change and the process of letting go of things in the past to embrace a new future is being diligent in where you allow yourself to put your attention. Because if I put my attention on the present each day, what I'm doing today to be the person I want to be tomorrow and the day after, then to make space for that, the past kind of automatically gets unplugged because we're not using it. But if I keep waking up in the present and putting my energy on the past, then I keep facilitating the cycle of being good at thinking about the past and getting more of the past. So that's why, why it's so crucial when you're kind of going through this, I wanna make a big change. You gotta start siphoning your energy, your attention, your life force 
out of the past into the present. And then eventually the past will sort of disconnect. And this is where you get into this whole open space of I can construct my identity and I can make myself who I want to be based on the potential I can see in my mind because I'm able to see the possibility on one side instead of the past on the other side. Mm, and the um, the letting go is is one of those things it's simple it's not easy it's really simple like you know I, I often give people the the example of i'll get them to hold something it might be like a tissue or a pen or something and i'll say like just hold on to it right and keep holding on to it and then i'll say like right i want you to like let go of that and then they'll just like let it go drop it and i'm like how easy was that and they're like super easy right that's like as simple as it is it's just harder when we've got things that we're holding on to and you know people talk a lot about closure and closure is important um because the things that hold our attention are tasks and issues that are unresolved or unfinished right and these are just things that our brain will always work to solve them until they're finished until they're done so if there's a relationship and it's not over for us mentally, we'll just replay it and think about, well, what did I do wrong or what could I do better? Or um, will, can I get them back or all these different things? And we'll keep playing it out and our brain's trying to fix and solve it. And so it keeps all of, all of our attention. But something that's even more important to consider is then that's actually creating our future because we're bringing all of that baggage and all of that stuff into our future. So we're, we're being that in the present, being someone who's maybe resentful of a, an ex-partner that screwed us over or something, or or someone who took money from us, or um, maybe a situation where, where we lost and got unlucky, and we've not let that go. We're holding on to it, and we're bringing it into the future. And what's even more powerful than closure, right, is something that's called completing or completion. Because anything that's unresolved or it's unfinished we want to finish it. We'll just keep thinking about it. It's going to keep coming with us. You know, you've got that task that you need to do. It's on your mind until you need to do it. You know, you need to post someone a birthday card or you need to go to the shops to buy something or you need to book an appointment or whatever it is. That stays with you mentally somewhere until you complete it. But the moment you complete the task and you get it done, it disappears. Now, we need to do that with our past, right? Anything that's like a block that's with us in the present that we're bringing is limiting belief, whatever. We just not completed it, right? So we bring it with us in the present and we think we're living into like, what do I want to do in the next year or five years? Everything we can see is tainted by what we're holding on to or the baggage we've got, the limiting beliefs we've got. So in order to create that blank space, what we need to do is complete the elements of our past that hold us back. You know, those resentments, those frustrations, um, all of the things we're holding on to when we can fully give those up, take full responsibility for them, um, and then we close them off, then what we can do is then like, now, now, now they're no longer something we're bringing with us. They're no longer an excuse. They're no longer a reason. And they're kind of gone. It's when you can let go of that person in the past and, you know, you can write them a letter or have a conversation with them and say like, you know, thank you for what you taught me and what we experienced together. Um, but now I'm I'm ready to move on. So uh, this chapter's closed and off I go. And then once that goes, it's not like the memories disappear. They're still available. You've got those. You know what you did and what happened. But it doesn't impact you in the present and you're not bringing it with you into the future. And that's just such a freeing um, kind of way of being to have available to us, I think. 
Yeah, but you know if you send them the uh, I'm moving on text, they're going to send you the let's get coffee text. Yeah, and it's got it's got going to have to be like. But you got to mean it. The the key is like what you know what what place are you coming from? You know, we're wanting to, and that will likely quite often happen. But it's like where is the place we're coming from with that? Because one of the things that when I when I work with clients and I'll have them, you know, there's an issue they need to resolve, and I'll have them resolve it. They're looking for something from the other person, and that's what keeps them stuck yeah. because they're looking for validation. They're looking for, did I do it right? Or they're looking for an apology from someone else. Ultimately, we have zero control over other people. Yeah. And if we want to be really empowered in our lives, it's taking total responsibility for, for everything, right? Um, not for other people, but for our role in it. So when, when they're coming at those, dealing with those conversations or dealing with those situations from that total place of um, responsibility, it's just like whatever that person says or does, it's just, just kind of a bonus you know, they might have an apology or they might receive our apology or whatever. And we're like, great, that's awesome. But it just doesn't have to happen for that situation to be closed and us move on. Yeah, I agree with that wholeheartedly. I remember uh, a couple of quotes stuck out to me as like, uh, closure is a gift we give ourselves. And um, you don't get to control the, uh, you don't get to control being the bad guy in someone else's story, perhaps, you know, every person we've ever, we've ever met has a, a narrative about us in their head and we don't get to write their narrative we don't get to decide how they're going to perceive us try as we might so it's interesting i feel like something you said in the beginning of the call um is what i would circle back to here in terms of how do you how do you reach completion mm. so, so like, really great but i'll let you answer if you have one um like what would you do with a client who's like having trouble to let go of something you said like we work on this in the call like what is the what can people at home listening to this who have a situation in the recent past whether it was financial emotional that, that sucked for them and they're still thinking about it every day what can they do yeah the, you know it's that's a great question so really it's like first off is just getting clear about where are you stuck right now? Like, so for anyone listening to ask yourself, like, where are you stuck? Where do you have a loss of power? Where are you holding yourself back in life? It could be in your performance, can be in your relationships. Typically one thing in one area we bring with us across the board, but where are you feeling stuck and like what's holding you back? And then that can point you towards the situation or maybe the person that you're feeling resentful about or frustrated about. And what you've got to look at there is look at, what is the what is like the the either the limiting belief or it can be like a, a complaint that you have right so it might be well people just aren't nice to me or like I've never been good in relationships or um, I'm so unlucky whatever that is you just got to get super super clear on that right and see that so once you're seeing that and you know what that is then what you can do is move on to what is like the situation that is causing you the trouble right it might be a relationship it might be a something that happened in your work life or your performance life um, and look at the situation and look at all of the facts of the situation and write all of those down. So you can write down, here's the situation, here are the facts. And this is where it gets a little bit blurry for all of us, right? Because we think we're seeing things objectively, but when we're not, we're seeing them through our lens, through our stories, through our subjective lens. So once you've got the situation down, you want to look at what, um, were you telling yourself about the situation, right? What were the um, 
beliefs or thoughts or stories that you had about the situation. Um, and when you get super clear on that, then you can start to see how you kind of contributed to it. So it might be that you had a bad performance in in poker or something, right? And then you're like, I lost all this money. And then that would be like the situation would be how much did you lose over what period of time? That's everything in the situation, the facts. And then your your stories about it, right? Or what you're thinking about it. Well, I'm super unlucky or this shouldn't have happened or um, other people like wronged me or whatever that is, right? All of that is all stuff that we add to it. So once you get super clear on that, you're separating these two out because they really do go together for us. Then you can see that, well, if those are things that you're thinking about it, that those are problems you created for yourself in your own thinking, that's when you can start to own it. And number one is you can like come from a place of, well, this is what I was thinking and these are the stories I created. And then when you to really kind of create, you need to take like some sort of action. So number one is you need to kind of give that up as an excuse in the present um, in order to be free of it. And then second is what is an action you can do to take responsibility for your part or your role in the situation um, that you can clean up or make right? Okay, it might be that you um, somebody did something and then you were really resentful and angry to them. It's owning that resentment, owning that anger, own, owning your part of the situation, because this isn't about somebody else. We can't change them. We can't change what happened, but we can change the feelings that we're having, the stories that we're bringing from the past about it into the future and let them go. So then you might want to have a conversation with that person or you might write a letter to somebody um, if you can't speak to them or you might go and take an action to put something right, you know, and deal with the situation so that you're actually dealing with it and tackling it head on rather than leaving it be and then letting it kind of play out. And being able to do that is a, is a powerful way to break through and then complete that part of the journey so that you can move on. So I guess like when you go through that process and you've kind of mapped out for yourself what's true and what's a story and what, you know, is there still things that I want to do about this? Are there tasks related to the things that happen that I need to do to be able to say it's complete? At a certain point, you when you've done that stuff, you get to say, okay, now it's complete, right? And this yeah. is sort of like a, like a door opens, you know? It's like, now when I think about those things, I remind myself that that chapter is over and we're on the new chapter now. So I can, re I can remind my brain, hey, we're not going to rehash that. I know you want to. I know it might be a habit. But when you start to think about this, this uh, you know, deep run that you messed up in a tournament that would have won you a lot of money, and then you could have invested that money in Bitcoin, it would have gone up. And like whatever it is, this story you're telling yourself, whenever those thoughts creep in, it's like, no, no, I wrote this one out. I already made peace with it. It's already closed not going to be lazy and allow my brain to ruminate on that. I'm just going to move the flashlight. I'm going to shine my attention somewhere else. And what that comes back to for me that you said at the beginning of the call, that's so important to all growth and, and all habits in terms of, you know, habits of how you allow yourself to think or habits of what you do is commitment. When you close the book, when you say I've completed this for myself, I then remain committed to that reality. I no longer allow myself to live in a reality where that's still a thing that 
oh, it's still ongoing. I'm like, no, like I closed that as best I could. From here on out, it's about realigning my focus. And remembering, I committed to that chapter being closed. I committed to moving on. So I don't allow myself to go back through old pictures or go back through, go back through whatever brings up more of the past. I realign my actions with the commitments that I made, which are to do the things that are in alignment with the life I now want to create, the person I now want to become. Yeah. And, you know, that new person that we want to become is only really available when we start like giving up, um, having to hold on to the person that we have been in the past, because ultimately in the present, we're, we're literally available to us is a blank slate it's only that we bring the habits thoughts and past into the future with us and then we keep recreating that um and ultimately a lot of that stuff that keeps us stuff is like what could have or should have happened like well i should have said this or this could have happened and it's like then we're we're trying to kind of hold on to that but ultimately what happened and what we did or what the situation was what what it was and a lot of the time is like you know we didn't want that like this person shouldn't have taken this money from me or this person shouldn't have cheated on me it's like they did whether we want it or not we can fight that and kind of like wish it didn't happen but that's what keeps it there we wish it didn't happen we wish it would be different and completing it is like here's what happened here's what i'm telling myself about it um and i'm willing to own that and then i'm willing to see it has has gone and then i'm willing to give that up and and to let it go and then i can be free in the in the present um and move on and i always remember the you know the metaphor of it's not a snake bite that kills us it's the venom that runs through our systems after the bite that does the real damage and that's the stuff we hold on to like we've been bitten we all get bitten in different ways and it's like if we if we want to hold on to that um we're holding we're just keeping the poison in us and it, it slowly slowly eats away at us but if we're willing to kind of like complete that to forgive to accept if you're not willing to forgive just accept accept means acknowledging like the facts of what it is it just brings us back to reality and reality is where all the magic happens it's where we experience peace it's where we experience alignment and it's where we we can create that blank space to to create from create like a free new future that's exciting yeah i mean acceptance is the the key that opens the door you know what you resist persists so if you're at war with the past that's a war you can't win. You know, it's, it's already written. It's already happened. So when you're in resistance to what already is, you just keep it alive. And, um, you know, a, a book that helped me with this was Radical Acceptance. But I think another you mentioned earlier, Loving What Is. It's like there's many people kind of writing anthologies about this concept because it's so pivotal to being a person, which is like learning to make peace with that which has already happened. Learning to find the silver linings to say, you know what? This was a really painful thing I went through. It took me to a really bad place mentally, but I'm going to make it one of the better things that happened in my life. I'm going to write my story and I'm going to be so strong and powerful and wise for having gone through this thing that I for sure wouldn't have chosen, but I might get to a place where I look back and go, I wouldn't trade it because I needed that experience as much as it sucked to become this person now who's going to get to live the way that I want to live. Mm. And, and when one of the places uh, or places is like things that I got is it really kind of landed in the last few months, actually, there's the, there's the kind of idea that everything's happening perfectly. 
and like i found that a hard one to get because i'm like well yeah but there's like wars and there's like horrible things people getting attacked and like really nasty horrible things happening like how can everything be happening perfectly but really perfectly is is happening as it is like me we might want it to be different um you know people might not want artificial intelligence to be happening at the speed it is and all of these things going on they're just happening and we can resist it and fight it um but it's not going to change it happening now it doesn't mean we can't do anything about it this is the the real key with acceptance a lot of people think acceptance or surrender is like giving up um or giving in and it's like nothing we can do it's like no we're just acknowledging this is life or this is the situation that's happening there's no more powerful way to deal with it than um than when you're in that place it was um Werner Earhart I believe that said uh, ride the horse in the direction that it's going right so it's like when we're not accepting we are resisting it and then we're not really dealing with reality we're dealing with our idea of how reality should be as often we'll see this with other people well they shouldn't be uh late or they shouldn't be dishonest or whatever that might be they just are they just are so do we want to keep hoping that they're different or do we want to just like acknowledge that's them and that's their choice to live the way they are and then we can do something about how we respond to that and how we live our own lives as well yeah absolutely um a lot of people going through life at war with the world you know um I catch myself doing it to be honest like there are situations where I can't help but notice things that could be better and maybe this is something that comes from poker and seeing mistakes like you know, I go to a restaurant and I notice everything that I would tweak to make it better because I've eaten at restaurants all over the world, you know? And sometimes I'm like, all right, well, maybe these fries suck, but maybe I shouldn't remind everyone I'm eating with that these aren't good fries. I should just let them enjoy the fries because these fries are just the fries that this place has, you know? I should probably not even eat fries because, you know, I'm trying to be in shape, but you get you get my point, you know? Um, it's easy to be at war with the world and to be trying to like, manipulate it to be the way that we want it to be but it's just this one perception of, of how like kind of the point of being alive is it to construct everything physically the way we want it to be um and eventually you're going to run into things you can't change and it's gonna be very distressing for you but if you um if you look at life through a different perspective like everything that's happening is for the evolution of my soul well all of a sudden that changes everything right like now when my kid's screaming it's teaching me patience you know when my dog eventually passes away, it's teaching me to be at peace with the cycles of life and death. You know, when things that I don't want and objectively wouldn't choose and will hurt happen, there's still an education there for like my being, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. It's like the things that we can control, we can take responsibility for, right? And that's like, we see that incomplete in the past and and um, taking ownership in our lives. The things that we can't control, we have no other option than to accept them. Like we can, anything else is just pure resistance. Like we were recording this podcast at, at 9 p.m. at night for me. And um, I, I, you know, we, we scheduled it in because I wanted to have time to like put the kids down and everything and then have have a bit of like um, relaxation time before. And it's like half past eight and my son isn't going to bed and he's still up and he's like making noise in his car. And I'd like got extremely angry at one point because I just forgot that that's just his world and that's what he's doing. And it's only when I accepted, like, that's what's happening. I can fight that all I want and want him to sleep. But if he's not asleep, I can't make him be asleep, right? I'm just like, he should be asleep 
Um, he shouldn't be awake, right? All of that just creates unnecessary stress in me. Um, and it happens all the time. And then the moment I kind of catch it, and then I'm aware of it, it's like, right, what am I thinking to make myself stressed? It's like, well, he shouldn't be up now. And then I'm like, well, he is up now. So why don't we accept that? Okay, cool. What can we do about it? It's like, maybe he needs to just come downstairs and watch some TV for a bit because he's just wired and he's not sleeping. But if I'm fighting against it, there's no options available for what can I do to help him or what can I do to deal with the situation? Yeah. Acceptance is tough, you know, um, until it isn't, you know, it's like that thing. It's like, how do I accept it? How do I accept it? And then it's like a, a ding, like a light bulb goes off and you're like, you just drop the resistance, you know, you just kind of start to see it like, without the preference you know like this just is happening um, yeah what yeah. one one of the most powerful examples i've seen of this is um, a friend of mine called uh, dave henson he was in the army and he went off to afghanistan and was fighting there and um he stepped onto a mine oh. and uh got both his legs blown off okay. and um it was it was crazy and i remember like going to see him in the hospital and like he was in pretty good spirits and everything and he like dealt with it really well and um he uh ended up going on to go into like the the um he was going into like running and sprinting he got like uh, prosthetic legs and um he was a captain of the invictus games for great britain and um i think he won that and then he went on to like uh, get a, a medal in like um the paralympics as well in rio and um and he's got had lived an extraordinary life like had since then he's had uh three children uh got married like he, he's like building submarines and all sorts of crazy stuff um yeah i mean that's pretty wild story um it's sick to think that sometimes that can happen to somebody and they they might even be happier than we are you know because they just get this really real visceral experience of, of gratitude for the life that they do have and they, they learn to live it and appreciate it in such a way that us that may have been on paper much more fortunate to avoid such a you know harrowing situation we may fail to have that same appreciation for our day-to-day uh, -day life yeah and and the interesting thing that you said there around appreciation is like i had a conversation with him um like years after it happened and i said like Look, you you you've had lived an incredible life and you've overcome like really really difficult challenges. I was like, how did you deal with that? And he said, like, I just realized I had a choice when I woke up and I was in the hospital and I realized my legs had been blown off. And first off, he was like, I realized that I very well could have died. Like, I'm extremely lucky to be living. Um, and so when he really got that, he was living in the gratitude of being alive. It's like getting another chance at the game versus like thinking about what he didn't have. And because he was focused on that, being grateful for what he did have, he's expanded that and then lived an incredible life. But there's very much another way that he could have gone. But he said it's not like that's easy. And now he just accepted that and life's easy. There's days where he gets very frustrated with it, but he's always got the opportunity to then reground himself, reaccept it and then continue on. But every time that he's not accepting it, um, he's like fighting against himself and it makes it difficult. So this acceptance is like an incredibly powerful tool that we can use. Um, 
but it's not something that we just do and it's set in stone. It's something that we can redo and repractice all the time. It's like me with my kids. Like, yeah, I can accept that they're awake when I want them to be asleep and then I can deal with that. And then it makes me more effective and more loving and more connected. But there's days where I just can't see it and it's harder. It's just how much have we got that available to ourselves? And really for that to be available, we just got to be connected. How present am I? How connected am I with myself? And then that gives us that availability to be connected with others. And it's practice as well. Yeah, I feel like there's a list of concepts like that are tools to dealing with life. And, you know, gratitude is one of them. Acceptance is one of them. Surrender that you touched on is one of them. Forgiveness, commitment, like these sort of ideas about how we can solve complicated problems, but it's not necessarily a complicated solution. Sometimes it's just like when it's an emotional problem, when it's a psychological problem, it's like a, a level of understanding that we kind of graduate to. And yeah, we may not be able to stay there all the time, but if we can sort of be in a state of acceptance, then we suddenly feel a different relationship to the problem that is still already happened in the past. It existed, it happened, but we are now perceiving that through a lens of acceptance and it changes everything. And um, something that frustrates me is I think a lot of people, you know, don't really know that these tools are available. You know, you, you might find that uh, people try, generally try to treat um, things that are going on in their life with you know, a multitude of different things, but, you know, we're all, you know, self-medicating all the time with, you know, people use alcohol, people use drugs, people use, um, you know, they might go to the doctor say, I, I have anxiety. This thing happened to me when I was a kid. Now I get nervous in these situations. I get Xanax, I get whatever, you know, and I don't want to sound um, like I don't appreciate the difficulty of people's problems because I absolutely do. And I've, I've had very difficult problems in my own life. But what I have seen from my lived experience, kind of being all over the world, going to, you know, ayahuasca retreats in South America with people who had deep trauma and kind of witnessing these kind of things firsthand, is that getting people to these states has such a profound ability to heal in ways that like symptomatic approaches just don't. Um, you know, I remember sitting next to somebody like uh, in my first ayahuasca retreat I went on and it was like the sharing circle, you know. And this, this woman started talking about how she had been abused as a child, you know, by uh, someone in the family and, you know, sexually abused. And it was, you know, really quite, quite a lot to share with people, you know, and um, it's something like, it's the kind of thing, like it's really deep. I mean, how do you make peace with something so unfair, so unjust? And with the aid of this compound and the a way it allowed her to have more psychological flexibility in her mind, she was able to basically perceive the situation, see this happened, it happened to me, but it was not about me. It had nothing to do with me. It's like this person had this tendency and they were in my vicinity. And it's like, basically I ran that, you know, it was unfortunate for me to be in that situation. And that's life. Unfortunate things happen to people. Things much more unfortunate than this have happened to some people. I might be you know, many people may not have had anything that's unfortunate happen to them. Probably most people haven't. But at the same time, it, it it is what it is. And again, of course, it's not for me or anyone else to say that to somebody who has intense trauma. But when that person is able 
to say that to themselves, to like really see that for themselves and say, you know what, this happened to me and that's the life I have. So I'm going to be at peace with it. I mean, it's, I don't want to mitigate how difficult it is to get there. And I'm not sure that person would have been able to reach that kind of transcendental state of peace with it without the aid of the, you know, psychedelic compound, but to see that acceptance was the antidote, you know, not a lifetime of, you know, medication or SSRIs or mood stabilizers or whatever. It was just like getting over that trauma and really accepting this happened. And and like you said, like completion, you know, not living the rest of life in reaction to that unprocessed event, but rather processing it, understanding it and accepting it and moving on. And, And it's, it's shocking that it, it is the same process, just, you know, different levels of difficulty, you know, and, um, you know, I, I definitely don't fault anyone who, you know, has a difficult situation in their life and not able to process because I've been there and, I, and I've had difficult things that I really struggled to process. And I, you know, sure, there was much more difficult things that I could have faced. I would have been, you know, much more helpless with, but it is, um, it does kind of illustrate the point that even in the darkest of times when we talked last time about man's search for meaning um i made a video this week for my team on the general stockton uh, stockdale who was in the vietnam uh prisoner camp and all of these people who went through torture and like the you know the, the concentration camps the most horrible aspects of war and torture they found psychological ways to prevail and i think that's incredible i, I think it's like um it sh- should be more of a, a light bulb moment for people to see that like things way harder than my problems have been solved, you know, not with drugs. Um, well, when I say drugs, I guess I mean like, you know, traditional drugs, not with symptomatic approaches, but with psychological reframing. And this I think is um, very powerful. Yeah, you know, definitely that whatever happened to us or to anyone, there's always going to be someone that's had it worse, like as bad as it gets. Um, it's like someone out there is going to have had something worse and it gets worse and worse and worse. And so it's, it's just putting it in perspective. But I think when it comes to like trauma, we events happen that are traumatic. And then what we do is then we re-traumatize ourselves. And so we re-traumatize ourselves we we re-traumatize ourselves and the closer we are to it the less we can see it so the more perspective we can get on how we're thinking about the situation how we're replaying it um how we're bringing it into the present then we can see that it's not happening anywhere outside of ourselves even things that have happened in the past even if they're not our fault they happen to us we're then redoing it to ourselves in the present and it's gaining that enough perspective on ourselves to be able to see it and how we're then re-traumatizing ourselves in the present with what we're believing, that's when we can, there's a, there's the possibility for a real shift to happen. And that's where I'm in the game of transformation because I believe that people and situations can be transformed from not having for us to just change it or make it better or make it different we can like, you can fully complete that, you can fully let it go, or you can fully be somebody new and be open to something new. As long as you're just open to that possibility, then you create a space where that that magic can happen. Um, And we don't need to keep, you know, 
re-believing the things in the past, even if we do, and you feel situations where you you know you get triggered, you can have hold that trigger or that situation in a different way. You can have a different relationship with your own thinking and your own experience, human experience, that allows that transformation to happen. And that's why I think it's really important to know it's like, you know, when we experience fear or anxiety or stress, these are symptoms. Okay, they're symptoms of something that's happening inside us. And so if we can start to really gain perspective on that, we can change the what's happening at the root of the problem instead of just trying to cover up symptoms with more self-help books or more strategies and techniques or um more kind of like numbing the problem with alcohol or distraction we can just get in and shift it and that's when we can deal with it and and ultimately you know live into a enjoy the rest of our lives like and not let that thing that happened in the past continue to keep happening in the present yeah absolutely um i heard you say that you believe in transformation and i think that's another one of the concepts on the list you know um, and I think transcendence is, uh, is a part of that tra transform uh, transformation for who we are and transcendence for our, our circumstance. Uh, you know, if you are a trauma survivor, right, and then you kind of start to learn more about what happened to you and your trauma and how it might have affected you, you might find a lot of support there. You might start to understand yourself better for a time. It can be super healing and super helpful and give you lots of strategies. But eventually, you may want to actually be able to transcend to a state where you don't see yourself through the light of this thing that happened to you you know um maybe you go through a growth fit growth phase and you're thinking like yeah i'm, I'm a trauma trauma survivor of xyz event but eventually you might just want to be you you know you might just and that might want to be a thing that was distant that affected you and probably still to some extent does but like you you learned about it you process it, you learned loads of new skills mental processing methods uh reframing techniques and just like you know peace core and acceptance um about how to deal with it and now it's not driving the bus of your life anymore you know i mean i'm not saying you can necessarily get 100 clear of it but you can get clear enough that it's not part of your everyday waking consciousness and people who aren't having that experience won't have that experience if they have a limiting belief that they can't have that experience you know and i don't say that to take away from anyone anyone's struggle but i i firmly believe that you must believe that true healing and transcendence and transformation is possible for you for it to be possible to you, you know, because otherwise you're unconsciously holding the belief that it's not possible. And again, if you're standing in your own way, if you're diametrically opposed to the result you claim to want, it's like you're, you're not allowing it to be possible. And um, you said uh, again about, it brought up the sunk cost fallacy again for me, right? It brought up this idea that, we get so used to seeing ourselves and interpreting ourselves through this lens of what's happened and what we've learned to do to deal with it, that we almost can't, we can't let it go sometimes. It's, it's like we don't realize that we were re-traumatizing ourselves. You know, the event already happened 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Now it's me telling myself the stories that I learned that I'm worthless or that I'm not good enough or I'm not the same as the other kids whatever those stories were that we told ourselves about the traumatic event that happened. And now, you know, that girl, at that ceremony, she learned to tell herself it wasn't about me. It had nothing to do with me. And those are empowering stories. I'm sure her little child self 
didn't know to tell herself those things. And it may take a while of reminding yourself what you've now come to believe is true and challenging yourself when you bring up the, the old way of processing. But if you put it through the new way of processing for long enough, it starts to fade into the distance. It starts to be your reality that it wasn't about you. It starts to be your reality that it doesn't define you, if that makes sense. Yeah, and and what I'll add to that is like when when events happen at any point, but especially in the past, often in childhood, um, we have to interpret that in a way. We have to make sense of it in a way, and often we we try and make sense of it in a way to deal with the stress or the trauma of what happened, and we internalize it. So you know, if somebody experiences the the, the result of a violent crime or um, or some sort of traumatic situation in order to deal with that in order to get away from the pain or the stress of it they might create a story for themselves of like there's something wrong with me because this happened or i'm not good enough um and then here's why this is really important because that story that gets created or that belief that gets created in the moment not is just like a belief it becomes an identity and then a the person's identity is a full in full reaction to that, right? It might be, I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. Um, there's something wrong with me or I'm bad or I'm wrong. And then they live a life based in reaction to that. So to create a persona, we all have a persona that we go around in life with, which is, it's like a cover up, and it's, it's designed to protect um, ourself, like our true self that, part of us that's inside that is like scared and vulnerable didn't know what to do at the time and that then becomes an identity for us that we live into and we're trying to like go around proving that we're good enough or that we are good or that we are okay and then we're terrified of getting found out and um that that's something that if it's an identity to us that sunk cost it's like we're gonna have to let go of that and everything we've created from that but that whole process of deconstructing that of we can only ever do that ourselves. We've got to see what happened. We've got to see what beliefs we've created around it and own them and be willing to like give them up and shift them and let them go. And then in that process, what becomes available to us is transformation is really about letting go of that identity that we've had, that we created for ourselves. Um, that person that we became to survive a situation or survive in life. And letting that go means we can shift out of a survival-based paradigm and way of living into thriving, into possibility, into something that's new. And then we're free from living, having to live into that. Um, and that's when it gets gets more freeing. And, and acceptance is part of that because we can accept that what happened and then rather than like, well, it shouldn't have happened and I shouldn't have done that and I shouldn't have told myself that story or created that belief or we can be like, that's just, how it was and it's what happened but i don't have to keep doing that and bringing that into the present and into the future yeah it reminds me very much about this kind of analogy i have it's like you have you know the angel and the devil on one shoulder you've got the angel of your future potential and you've got the devil of your past and they've each got like a rope tied around your wrists and it's like you're being pulled in two directions and you got to find a way to get this one free to get free of the past so you can actually like climb up the rope up toward your kind of future of who you're capable of becoming but a lot of people feel stuck because they're like trying to become the person they want to be, but they're still kind of not letting go of this person that they think they were. 
And as you said, it's like the sunk cost. They had this identity for a long time. And when you create from a place of lack, from a place of unworthiness, from a place of not feeling enough, you create a whole bunch of reminders around you that reflect that reality back to you. You know, if, if you've held a belief about yourself for a long time, you weren't enough. Your career, your job, your relationships, your friendships might all be a reflection of that because they're not the kind of things, the relationships and uh, situations that you would have created with a different belief. So now you look at your life and my life is only this. So I must be only this. But your life is only that because you thought you were only that. And if you can shift your belief that I'm actually capable of this, then you take the behaviors and over time and repetition of action, life becomes very different. And, you know, at one point you were a, a mid-stakes poker player. Now you're a coach, right? Like your life has changed. At one point you decided I can do something different. And now it's not weird anymore that you're doing something completely different with your life. It, it feels very natural. And, and it's the same for me, you know, like I made many changes in my life about where I lived or about what I was doing with my time, what I was doing for money and all of those things. Like eventually you get used to them and they're not weird anymore. But in the beginning, you just got to be kind of willing to believe in yourself. If you don't believe in yourself, you're only going to get what you got. Yeah, it's and it's really like we're creating ourselves. So we're either like recreating ourselves based on who we think we are or who we were in the past. Once we is what I recommend is we need to get clear on what that is and see that in order to either believe in ourselves or create ourselves. Otherwise, we're putting a new belief or a new identity on top of the old one. And it's the same problem. That's when we feel like an imposter or we feel like a fraud because it's like, it's all on top of the old stuff. There's, you know, like if we don't clear out the beliefs that are underneath or the problems that are underneath and, and let those go, it's like putting uh, frosting on dog poop, right? It's like we haven't really sorted the problem. So really seeing that how we've created and constructed our own identity and being able to see that and let it go offers us the possibility of like, who do I want to become? And, and what is that? And it's like, you know, for me, it took me a long time to settle into the idea of being a coach, you know, and I would be coaching and it's like, oh, I'm not a real coach or, you know, there's still that doubt around it. But you when you get really grounded in that and you're being it and you're doing it long enough and you and you're for me, it was like visualizing it and then doing the qualifications and doing all the stuff and then doing it enough. It's it's what's mo more important than the actual anything else that's going on, on the outside is really getting into that identity myself of like seeing this is true for me this is what i'm believing about myself and then as i feel that on the inside then the actions are more congruent on the outside but ultimately if we don't get the inside right it's like we can be taking a bunch of actions and still feel like a fraud or feel like we're not doing it right and that's where we're looking for confidence outside of ourselves in in a technique or a tool or somebody else to, to give us that. And ultimately it has to happen with that internal shift and it's clearing out what's in the way, um, making clearing out that space and creating that, that possibility. And, and um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's powerful. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is what I, I, t I, I feel like a broken clock sometimes or a broken record talking to guys on, on my team about setting these process-oriented goals of the person who you want to become. 
So it's like, if you know you want to be a high stakes poker player, what does a high stakes poker player do when they wake up after lunch, before they start a session, when they end their session, before bed? Okay, do those things every day. And then you start to feel like a high stakes professional poker player. A lot of people have this idea, I'd like to become that, but they're, you know, ordering delivery pizza in the middle of the session, timing out to go into the door. They're, you know, they're staying up late at night, waking up at all different times. They're, they're acting like a recreational, acting like, you know, an amateur, but they want to be a pro. It's like, do what a pro does and you're going to believe you're a pro. And then all of a sudden, like, you know, when there's a question, do I review these two hands before I go to bed or not? The answer is obvious because you're a pro and you want to know what happened. You want to know what you should have done right. It, it becomes suddenly easy to do all the tangentially related things when you have, you know, certain things that you're committed to that you know are the building blocks and uh, sort of cross-section of the identity that you're, you know, attempting to assume. Yeah, I love that. I love that um, description. And I love that as a, that's a, like a really great roadmap of like what it takes for someone to create real success. Because what you're talking about is like being the real deal versus faking it. You know, there's a lot of talk about um, fake it till you make it. And there's lots of different ways you can look at this. But what I would say around that is like, if you're genuinely taking the actions, you're not faking it. It's like you're being it. And if you're being it, it's real. Because what's even deeper than like belief is certainty you know when you speak about something with certainty there's no wobbling on it right it's just true like um if i was gonna lie and say oh yeah i had a bunch of calls today and it's like you'd sense that it's just like not real but if i'm like yeah i had you know two client calls and a group session today it's just you're speaking in facts it's certain and these are things that your brain can't really argue with and so if someone's showing up in the way of like, you know, I'm doing my warm-ups, I'm doing my meditation, I'm studying hard, I'm playing my hours, it's authentic. And that's where like authenticity is actually a really important part of performance, I believe. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, alongside in integrity and commitment, um, authenticity is like we can call ourselves out when we're not doing it. I had this um, over the last year where, you know, I've meditated a lot in my time. Um, I had a thousand day run streak at one point on Headspace. Like I hit it super hard and I was like really ramping up and I had incredible results in my life of like how that helped me transform. But like over the last year, my meditation hadn't been what it was. And there was me like telling clients to meditate and, you know, giving yeah. out all of this. And I could feel this like, uh, like this incongruence in me of like, I'm not being authentic because I'm not meditating myself. And then I'm preaching about it. Like, it's like, you have to do it. Um, and I just had to be honest about that and tell people. And then I made a commitment to like, get back into it myself, but I was just going to be real about that. And when we're being authentic, it, it makes us, um, gives us the opportunity to like play the game at a, a, a higher level, a better level, because we're just calling ourselves out when, we're not doing what we say we want to do. And it gives us the opportunity to be more professional. Absolutely agree. I mean, I, I don't, I have uh, my assistant, he has meditated every single day since we started working together, like three years now, right? I'm amazed. I'm very impressed. Um, I'm actually letting him coach me on how I can be more consistent because I'm like the guy who taught him how to do it. But I, I've struggled to be, you know, every single day for three years type of results. I feel very confident now since I committed to it that I will have those kind of results. But I also think it's, 
important to recognize that you go through stages in life and sometimes life brings you back to the same challenges to learn like deeper levels of them. So perhaps you meditated every day for three years and you had all these breakthroughs, you know, and then maybe you plateaued or maybe something happened in life. And, you know, maybe you started prioritizing other areas of your life, such as like growing the business instead of like doing the work. Cause I mean, you know, you do a bunch of healing and then you're trying to help people. Now all of a sudden you got to wake up and think about marketing, not about meditation. You know, like life is about reaching people, not, you know, reaching enlightenment. It's like your, your priority change. So now it feels natural that it falls away for a bit. And I, I've seen other coaches who, you know, are in this sort of space say, you know, like, oh, I haven't done this habit that people know me for in a while. And I want to come clean about it. It's very normal. You know, we're, we're not robots. And when you do come back to it again, you have this like greater appreciation, like, oh, it's like coming home, like why did I stop doing this? And why did I take a break from this? I mean, everyone is fit has had a time in their life when maybe they didn't go to the gym for a couple of months, you know, and they got a little out of shape again. And, you know, poker players who study really religiously, they've had periods where they maybe fell a little bit behind and weren't on top of their studies. And it almost makes you more grateful when you get back into it and remember like, yeah, this is who I want to be. So I think on that, it's very important not to beat yourself up, not to think, oh, I'm not this person because I wasn't perfect. And just the moment you realize that you've fallen off the track, just be expedient in getting back on the track. And, you know, maybe at one point in your life, after a cycle of meditation, when you quit or stopped, you would have taken a really long break, but now you take a shorter break, you know? And, um, you know, a lot of guys I coached, um, they had issues with this, with like going to the gym consistently and whatever. It's like they were in it and they weren't in it. And I'm like, okay, well, just when you realize you're not in it, just get back into it faster. And it's not a big deal. Um, Something else you said that really sparked something in me. I'm struggling to remember what it was. Maybe it'll come back to me. But um, I got I had such a passionate answer to the like it's it's okay if you didn't meditate every day for the rest of your life that I, I just kind of lost my my thread there. Um, I don't think it's coming back. I'll, um, let, I'm having yeah, that moment where I'm like, oh, I, I don't know what to say. And now I'm getting nervous. And I'm like, oh, I mean, I'll just ask the crowd a question. You know what I mean? Like, let me, yeah, no, I, no, I get it. It's, let me share. Um, let me share something on, on that, that I think is important. And, and you may well have that, that idea pop back up. Um, when um, it's like, when we don't do something for a period of time, it's like, we know we've messed up. We don't need someone else to say, hey, I told you so, or you didn't do it, or you should have done it. It's like, you just need it pointed out. And that's what accountability is. Like when we make ourselves accountable or we're being authentic, we're just pointing ourselves towards what's happening so we can see it. It's like, right, you might even ask the question, how many times have you meditated this month? One, how many times did you want to meditate? Like 10. All right, that's all you need to see like your brain's smart enough of like right there's a gap of nine let's pull our socks up we don't need to like judge ourselves or break ourselves and that's what really kind of blocks people is like well i should have done it and i didn't do it so now i'm i'm so bad i'm the worst it's like that's what keeps us stuck in the past doing more or not doing more of what we wanted to do um so just like that lack of self-judgment um is a game changer uh, i know you mentioned the, the book I've not read it actually, uh, Radical Acceptance, but um, is that Tara Brack? 
Yeah, yeah. I haven't read Loving What Is, but I, I know what it's about. So I think they're similar. Yeah. Yeah, I've I've no, I've listened to some of the audiobook of Radical Acceptance and um it certainly resonated. But for me, like the concept that that and acceptance in, in all across the board is like one of my faves, but like unconditional self-acceptance, that's the game changer. That's where things really like ramp up on a personal level. When when you try that one on and live from that, it's like it's hard to be blocked or stopped because um ultimately we're only stopping ourselves with our own self-judgments and when we practice like giving those up um not really a lot that can hold us back yeah um it's funny i mean there's so many times that i work with a player and i like they're um maybe they've been having negative results and they're just like they're obsessed with like what is my evbb per hundred or like you know what what is my actual win rate what's my roi they're drilling down in shark scope and like what if instead of trying to define how good you are, you just put that effort into being better? Because however good you are or not, it's like in flux, it's going to change tomorrow anyway. But we could just put that effort into like the improvement and like spend more time in PyoSolver, uh, GTO Wiz or whatever tool and less time obsessing about ourselves, you know, because you're never going to quantify that. And um, yeah, it actually, it did come back to me when you said acceptance I think this idea, fake it till you make it, it's sort of, there's people have a visceral negative response to the word fake, right? For a good reason, because we know we should be authentic. So then when you think about doing something you don't yet feel confident in, this idea comes up, you've heard people say, fake it till you make it. And you go, I don't want to be fake. Therefore, I'm going to be authentic and not try, right? It's like this perverse result of the way we interpret the, the words. It's kind of the, um, it's just syntax, right? It's a syntax error. So what I like to say, I don't think it sounds that cool. It's actually a little bit lame, but you can remember it, is hold it until you mold it. So you have like a new way of behaving, a new process that is becoming of the kind of person you see yourself wanting to become. And at first, it's all new. It feels very uncomfortable. Just stay in the action. Hold yourself through that uncomfortable time. And your brain is going to rewire. You know, the first time you open any new poker study tool, likely feels overwhelming. You feel stupid. You feel other people have been studying with us for months. I'm way behind. All this stuff. But, you know, you just open that tool for an hour, Monday through Friday, for three weeks and you're not going to feel that way and you're going to be taking the action of the exact opponents that the next guy who opens the tool and feels overwhelmed is afraid are going to beat him the people who are actually doing the work you become the guy who's actually doing the work by holding yourself through that uncomfortable process you know a lot of people the first time you go to the gym if they haven't worked out before they might feel uncomfortable being in there i don't even know what exercises to do just keep going you know just relax and just keep going keep showing up and uh you know hold yourself through that period it's not you know fake it till you make it is like this is not who i am well this could be who you want to be so let's stay in the game and let it happen you know mm. i think that's a really really clear description of like how people get confused on what fake it till you make it is because there's like it's really one of those real polarizing things where 
people will say uh yeah no it just doesn't work or people will say like yeah it really does work and what you're saying is like if you persistently take the action over time of the person that you want to become then you're going to become that but ultimately we're going to have a voice inside our head that's saying that's not me i don't do that if someone let's just say someone's socially anxious and they they don't really enjoy being in in you know, big groups and start starting conversations and, and speaking up and being loud. And then they think they're going to do that. They're like, that's inauthentic for me to do that because that's not what I do. That's not true. In terms of authenticity, fundamentally, we're all pretty inauthentic. Uh, that's something I really discovered in the last few years. It's like, we're fundamentally inauthentic and the gateway to being authentic is just calling ourselves out. And <laughs> we have to do it a bunch. Mm-hmm. And that's really great because it's almost like we're backtracking on it. But um, with authenticity, it's choosing who we want to be. So if we want to be like outgoing, because that's something we genuinely want to do, we're not just doing it to impress people or to get some sort of gratification or approval, but like, I just want to be more connecting with people and be more social, then like, that's something we authentically want. Being authentic is like being the author. So like, you're getting to write the book. And it could be a new story, so it's going to feel uncomfortable. And But when you're doing it and you stay with it, um, once you've done that for a long period of time, then you've done it and then you are it because it's like you've had that amount of um, experience. So um, I think really if you're taking the actions, there's nothing fake about taking the actions if it's something that you've chosen to do. I think when we're like running around telling people that we've done something, we haven't done it. That's when we're faking it because it's just like, yeah i do this and it's like okay have you ever done it it's like no now i feel like i want to write that down like 10 15 20 times by hand so i don't i don't forget that like the way you said that being the author is being authentic like that could be the title of a book that could be the title of this podcast like it's so true and i'm so glad that we got to this topic because it's one i i feel passionate about you know um so many times like the, the words that if you're as a mental game coach I think is the most tilting to hear from somebody you're trying to work with do you know what they are for me they're that's just the way I am because it's like because you believe that it will continue to be true you know and it's um it's just it's the end it's, it's the essence of a limiting belief to say that's just how I am and then that's just how you will continue to be but if you're the if if being in alignment with your authenticity is authoring your life, if that's the thing that is authentic, is choosing who I want to become and becoming that person, if growth is what you're attached to rather than the past, well, now all of a sudden it becomes authentic for you to do that thing that makes you feel uncomfortable, that you don't have a lot of reference experiences for, and that you know feels out of alignment with the life you've lived up until this point. Now, to do that anyway, to be a person of action in the direction of your dreams, despite how absolutely physically, viscerally uncomfortable it makes you, that's authentic. Yeah, for sure. And and like who we're, I'm also like super passionate about this one as well, because something I've done a lot of work on myself is um, like whatever happens after we say I am whatever it's all made up like that this is the key when we start like really owning the fact that it's all made up there are things that we've done in our lives that are true 
but all of the stories and narratives that we're creating around it are made up. We made it up. We authored it, right? So the clearer we get on that, we can just say like, do I want to keep authoring in the same tone? Do I want to change that tone? Do I want it to be different? We, we first just need to realize that we are the one creating ourselves. So like if I'm being socially anxious, it's like, yeah, there's natural tendencies we have, but then I'm also like creating myself as that. And I'm retelling myself stories about that. The clearer we get on that, then the more available transformation is, the more available like being that new author that we want to be is. That's why I say like, you know, we want to get clear on seeing the beliefs or seeing ourselves super clear first before we create something new. Because otherwise we're going to be going out trying to take those actions with that but that's not me like so ingrainedly hard underneath that it makes it hard to get out the gate. Um, and, you know, that's not me. That's definitely one that comes up. The one I see that that is frustrating is like when people say I'm lazy um, oh. because it's like, I know. I don't, think, <laughs> no, I don't think anybody is lazy. Right. I can say I'm lazy when I just sit on the sofa, but I'm choosing to sit on the sofa. It's like not a, a, a disease that I have or something. It's like, I say, I'm lazy. Again, it's, I am lazy. Whatever comes after I am is made up. This is like, when we really get present to that, whatever comes after I am is made up. That also means it's open for grabs. Like right now, I am a coach. That's pretty real because I do lots of coaching sessions with people. But tomorrow I could be a doctor if I wanted and sign up to like doctor school and then go and do that. It's like, I can live into that if that's something that I want to create for myself. So it's inauthentic when we're kind of doing it and we don't realize we're doing it and we're doing it to, to get approval. Or we're doing it to avoid living our life or react to stress. It's just like, we're not in control of it. But once we consciously decide like, this is who I would love to be. This is how I would love to live my life. And we live into it. Yeah. It takes a whole huge amount of courage an effort and dedication but as you really get clear on it it starts to click and then that's where that new you is really available i think again it's like a language problem in the sense that people author to themselves the story i'm lazy but it's not really that accurate like a more accurate statement would be i am not truly bought into the idea that I can create different results in my life. And because of that, action doesn't seem worth the effort. Yeah, I, I think like really, I always see whenever someone says I'm lazy, typically for me, it means I'm scared. That's how I interpret it because I know when I'm procrastinating on something, I'm usually scared, fear of failure, fear of not looking good. Um, fear of embarrassment or messing up or whatever there's fear of letting people down um, but it also might be like someone might be lazy but they're just tired they're actually a, a, a perfectionist and they work super hard and why not watch some youtube or why not relax and and chill out or why not hang out with friends it's like getting clear on what that is because whatever it is we label it with a story and it's like we get to choose what that is and that's why often people, one of the things I work on with a lot of people, a lot of the time is like people struggle to take time out because they're like, well, I need to do more and I need to study more and I need to play more. And I need to work harder. Um, 
and that time out comes with a lot of guilt around it and a lot of um, discomfort around it. And they feel lazy because, well, I'm lazy if I don't, if I'm not studying or not doing stuff. And it's like, well, not if you're choosing to relax, you're not being lazy, you're relaxing. Like you're going to choose to relax or you're going to choose to, to take action because um, there's the doing and there's the being and we need space in order to be in order to see straight and make good decisions. So um, when we really see things in their true light and how we're painting, painting the picture of them, um, it just gives us more options. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think a lot of it comes down to clarity, right? Like um, we're indiscriminate with both our choices with relation to taking action and not taking action, like consciously choosing to rest, choosing to watch YouTube, choosing to watch a movie, choosing to do whatever. It's not lazy, like consciously choosing to play a video game for an hour doesn't make you lazy. Sitting on the couch, scrolling Instagram for three hours might not be because you're lazy. It might be because you're indecisive and unstructured and you're caught between needing rest and thinking you should be doing something and i mean i'm speaking from experience here you know what i mean like i've been through this and i think that um it's very important to be careful about these stories that we tell ourselves and to be willing to be wrong because like when you talk with a client on a call and they say i'm lazy is like do you want to convince me that you're lazy because then we both lose. But if I can get you to see that there's a version of you that exists that wouldn't identify as lazy, then I'm 100% sure I can help you figure out exactly how to become that person, you know? But I can't if you won't, if you won't open the door, you know? Um, I, I, speaking back to clarity, have you ever done one of these exercises where you take like a big sheet of paper? I mean, you could do it in Evernote or whatever, but you can do it on like a piece of construction paper. They do these sometimes at like uh, coaching events and stuff. And you you write down like who you want to be and where you want to live and what kind of relationship you want to have and what kind of partner you want to have and all, all this stuff. Like you get crystal clear on like who you want to be, the life you want to live. What I find is that so many people have never done even like a, a, a relic of that exercise. They've never really written down for themselves some sort of a, a, a place they would like to land in their life. And they have a crystal clear vision of what has happened up until now. So the past looks like it's made out of rocks and cement and concrete, and it's unchangeable and very real. And then like anything that's not directly adjacent to that in the present, feels completely, it's just blank. And the fact that it's blank is, is, is awesome because you can write, you know, whatever your heart might desire, but people don't. They, they don't have uh, nearly as much clarity around where they want to go as they do where they came from. And that causes them to not go that much further than where they've come from. And when you do an exercise like that, when you get crystal clear and read it day in, day out. I mean, you know, I used to write these things on construction paper and tape them on the walls of my apartment. I mean, talk about a cue. You walk into the living room, you got like, you know, Tony Robbins, five, you know, keys to transformation written down in huge letters above your, you know, meditation cushion. You feel like a coach, you know? Um, 
certain things that you can do. Like you got to put your goals everywhere, make them obvious, make it harder to be in the habit of thinking about your past than it is to be thinking about your future. And, and like, it's just, most people have never thought to do it. It's not like, uh, you know, your, your friends aren't doing it. You know, your, your next door neighbor's not doing it. Your girlfriend's not doing it. They don't have, you know, my dream life written in big Sharpie marker above their desk because they don't want to be uncool. So instead they, you know, do their job. They don't really like it. They complain about it. And they think that's cool because at least I'm not one of those people who's like too positive. That's annoying, you know? Mm, but so the, the thing for me about clarity is like clarity comes with action. Like if we're not clear on something, when we take action, we get clear and mapping that vision out is an action. And I learned this massively, like hugely in my own life. Like it was crazy. Um, but what I noticed, and, and I'll talk about that for sure. What, what I notice in um, when I work with clients many, many times, people can't, they can't map that vision out. I'll, I'll, I'll ask a question I'd love to ask is tell me, where would you love to be in, uh, if anything was possible for you, where would you love to be in three to five years time? And they're like, I don't know. And I can't answer it. They've never thought about it to the point of a, they've never thought about it. And B there's so many like blocks in the way of like, I can't have what I want or it's not possible for me. Or um, what if I try and I fail so big, that they can't even open up their mind to see it. Like that imagination is the eye of God. The imagination part's gone because they just got so caught up in living into the default world. And this was me um, around something around 2015, 2016. This was me. And I remember sitting in um, my apartment in, uh, in Clapham in London and um, is a Sunday and I was just in my room on my own and I was pretty miserable. And I'd been doing lots of personal development work and I had a Tony Robbins book. I've got it like Awaken the Giant Within. That's the one I had. And I was reading that book and I was like, right, do you know what? I'm going to sit down and I'm going to answer all these questions. It was like, what do you want your dream life to look like? Who do you want to be? What do you want your relationships to look like? And write it down in the present tense as if it's already real. And I like went down and I wrote down all of those out. And I felt incredible, like writing them down and start to get excited about it. And I started like do it all. Um, but it was like the first step. But what what really, really changed for me was I've been reading personal development books for a long time. I've been working really hard on myself. I've been applying it in the areas of poker. But that was about it. I started to have like more acceptance in my game more mindfulness. But going through this process of like writing down the vision and getting crystal clear on it and then exactly what you said like I created the vision board and then I was like visualizing it every day it's an action even visualizing stuff is an action you've got to sit down and it mentally takes energy to like picture yourself in the dream life and already having that now it takes discipline it takes energy it takes persistence and I started doing that and I did it every single day and I'm gonna have a look to see because I'm pretty sure I wrote a bunch of this in my phone at the time um and i think i may well still have it here um let's have a look okay yeah so it's still in my notes section on my phone 23rd of august 2016 right so this was seven years ago 
And I wrote down like personal, I'm super confident, I'm assertive and in control of everything I do. I got like super clear. I plan my days and I live life on my own time on own terms. Other people's opinions don't matter to me. This was all the stuff I had. Relationships. This is where it gets interesting. I wrote, I'm feeling happy and content as I stare into the eyes of my wife as we get married. I'm so happy to find someone beautiful who I care for and who equally cares for me. We want to help each other grow and we build a life together. I have two wonderful children who I help and support and fulfill their dreams. And like fast forward on seven years, like one year later after this, so this was 2016, I met who would then be my now wife. A year later, I proposed. A year later, we got married. We had one kid, two kids. And here I am. And it's like I wrote down the seven areas of my life and so much of it, not all of it, but a huge amount of it became real. And I, I said to my wife, I was like, I created you because I knew what I was looking for. I got crystal beyond that. I got crystal clear on like what the values were. Like rather I was going out dating and I'd meet lots of different people, but I didn't know what I wanted. I didn't know who I wanted to meet. And what, when I got clear, like I want someone who's going to value me. I want someone who's interested in me. I want someone who is honest, who's trustworthy, who um, is fun, who loves what they do. And then, I start to filter out everything else. Yeah. Same happened with poker, right? I got clear that like, I want to earn this much money. I want to um, work super hard. And it, all the other stuff became easy because I knew what to say yes to and what to say no to because it was like dialed in. But the, the, the thing that really, really hit for me was like I went from being a consumer and like watching YouTube and reading books and doing all this stuff to being a creator and actually getting out there and like taking action and applying it and that's the that's the real difference there's lots of people in the personal development world like they know a bunch of stuff but they're just not applying it mm -hmm. and like being able to get out and apply it that's where things shifted for me personally and then I got super interested in like how the hell can you work with people and make it happen and then the coaching part is like you're helping people set goals take action and blast through like anything that's getting in the way and hold their hand and push them a little bit further than they think they can go. And it's like super, super fun and dynamic. Yeah, it's an amazing point. Um, I mean, I think there's so many people and I've been guilty of this myself. It's like you read a book on a problem you're trying to solve, right? But then instead of solving it, you like read another one and then you read another one. You read like, you know, and they're all kind of saying the same thing, but you're just like, now you're in this perverse form of procrastination that feels like productivity. Um, and yeah, I mean, you know, that's why at this point in my career, like somebody wants to work on their habits. I'm like, read James Clear's Atomic Habits. Don't read any other books and just do what it says, you know? And, and that works, but like people are ready to change. Um, it's so funny that like, you know, Awaken the Giant Within was the book because it sounds like it awakened the giant within, you know? Uh, it's a phenomenal book if um, if anyone hasn't read it. I mean, I think if I was looking for a takeaway from this podcast that people could take home an action today, I would say go out, get yourself an audio book copy. Um, and my, I like hearing Tony's voice of Awaken the Giant Within. Find the video on YouTube, whatever. And then listen to that in your headphones while you go to this office supply store and you buy construction paper, which you've probably never done before. And you buy markers in a variety of different colors, which you've almost certainly never done before. Bring those things home, you know, put them on your kitchen table and start, start mapping, be creative, do this thing that other people don't do. 
get your heart and soul out into the paper. What do I want? Who can I become? Like, what am I capable of? Start making your vision as real as your doubts, as your fears, as your past, as your limitations. Start making it more real and put those things where you see them and start waking up to the idea of who you can become instead of the person that you think that you are. And if you do that, eventually it'll be true. If you hold it until you mold it. Mm, yeah, I love that phrase, hold it to your molder. I'm gonna I'm gonna play around with that because I, I think it's great. I also like the idea that you know we're we're like the sculptor creating this piece of clay, and sometimes we just forget and we think we're the clay, but ultimately we're the one sculpting it. Um and uh yeah, I that book I I did have that on on audio, and Tony Robbins, like he's a great motivator. He was someone who um really when I got into personal development really inspired me. But what I loved about when he was reading that audio book, and this was great, he was like, put, pause the book and go and do the, go and write this down and go and do the stuff that you need to do. And then he goes, I know you're not doing it. Go and do it now. He's like, he yeah. knows this stuff so well. He's like, I know you're sat there like, yeah, Tony, um, I'm not going to pause the book. I'm just going to sit here and keep listening because that's what 99% of people do. He's like, don't be 99% actually write this stuff down and your life will change and it's true and it did and and it's real so yeah it's great advice yeah i mean if you're if you're listening and you get the book please pause it when he says to pause it and do the exercises i, I think i got that from tony robbins in my course whenever i had a worksheet like all right guys is a worksheet actually stop the video please do the worksheet you know um this is what makes live events great is like you know the coach that you're working with is there and they hand you the worksheet and they like you know put on the uh the deep focus music and walk around the room and kind of look at you and make sure that you're doing the worksheet. And um, it's amazing how much the power of like putting yourself in that creative headspace and putting the pen to paper and like forcing yourself to like, you know, actually write something, you know, actually be the author. And I should, maybe forcing yourself is a strong word, but like getting into the habit that is currently not at all formed of remembering that you can author your own experience. Yeah. And um, ultimately, looking at all of this, it's like what makes things happen is doing and writing down your goals is an action. It's a really positive step um, that can make change happen. It's the, And it's important, like writing them down, having them float around in your head isn't enough. Like You've got to write them down and then you can get super clear on it. It's like the first step to making it real. You write it down and then you go take a bunch of actions um, out in the world that really, really make it real um but without action without doing it nothing really changes and one thing you said actually that i wanted to mention was um you said like you'd offer clients uh to read atomic habits and just read that book and go and apply it and i think that's great advice and the reason why i think it's great advice is because i personally think it's better to read one book and read it like three times and go in action everything in the book um versus reading 20 books and then not taking any action on it because you just got a whole bunch of knowledge and nothing changes. I read that book. I wrote down my goals. I started visualizing every day. I started taking action of it, on it. Things changed incredibly quickly in my life. Another book that I read meticulously, studied, and then implemented aggressively was Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway. And I took it and then I started feeling the fear and facing all my fears for like one to two years. And my life dramatically transformed. And I was someone who became like, incredibly courageous at the time 
because I was willing to like do whatever it took to transform myself. And I knew that each time I faced a fear, my false self, the person that I thought I was, all these limitations started dropping off and dropping off and dropping off. And then whenever I started backing away and stopping facing them, my full self started like getting stronger and stronger and stronger. Yeah. I mean, there's like in life, there's so many books, right? I mean, there's, there's what billions of people in the world, right? And many people can write. Um, but there's like, there's top five books in the life. And then there's like kind of top 25, you know? Um, or maybe there's top five, there's top 10. And then there's like the fringe, like top 30. If you've read it more than twice, it's probably top five. If you've read it more than once, it's probably top 10, top 15. I don't know how many books you reread, not too many, but like a few. And then the like the amount better that I think any book I've read twice is than almost any book I've ever only read once is not even close. You know, um, The Power of Now is the book I've read the most. I've read it six times. I mean, the only book that really comes close for me in the same realm would be The Untethered Soul. And I've read that two or three times, you know? Um, and people probably think, oh my God, James, this guy must spend all his time reading. I mean, yeah, there was a phase in my life when I, I read a lot of books, but, you know, it, it's, um, I, I probably didn't spend, on a day-to-day -day life now, you know, I don't think I spend any unreasonable amount of time reading. Like I, I listen to a chapter of Atomic Habits right now while I'm walking my dog. The chapters are 15 minutes. He takes a poop. I write down some notes and, you know, it's, we call it a morning. It's not no crazy reading commitment. You know what I mean? 15 minutes on audio, taking some notes in my phone of things I want to implement. And as you said, like, if you're not reading to implement, you're kind of wasting your time, you know? Um, unless you're reading to be entertained, you're reading like, you know, The Alchemist or something, or you're reading some fun book that just like it for a flight. But, you know, if you really want to improve an area of your life, whether it's like meditation or like spiritual practice or habits or you know your psychology and your understanding of things like take notes and read it slowly and try to put things into practice every day it's just like if you're doing it like reading is basically the cheapest form of coaching there's no accountability you have to do it all yourself you know there's um there's no face-to-face -face, you know like you just have to read and then coach yourself with the information and you know like it's not the, like if you work with someone who's read the books who can help you like that might be faster, but it might be more expensive. So if you're on a budget, get a book, got to be accountable. You know what I mean? Um, and yeah, I mean, when I coach people, one of the things I love to do is, is get them reading. You know, I don't care if they read, they don't have to read a lot. You don't need to read 300 books, just read two books a year for fuck's sake. You know what I mean? If you're not reading two books a year, you don't deserve your goals, honestly. Like, you know what I mean? Like it, people live an entire life. Some of the smartest people on the planet and they put the best ideas and the best things they had to learn from their experience on the planet into a four hour thing for you. And you're like, nah, like Viktor Frankl went through the Holocaust in a, in a concentration camp and the audiobook is only four hours and you can't do four hours, you know, for the benefits and the lessons of that friggin' experience. It's, it's wild that people don't read books. Yeah, often when when people want to work with me and if my practice is full or I don't have space, I'll say, um, go go and read this book and then um, let me know what you get from it and we'll speak in, in a couple of weeks' time. And they're like, yeah, 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 yeah. And then the message in a couple of weeks' time, like, can we have a conversation? Can we speak? I'm like, how did you get on with the book? Oh, I haven't, haven't read it yet. 
And it's like, that's where life is, right? If we're not willing to read the book or we're not willing to take the steps, life won't change. Nothing will really change. I remember um, watching a TED talk years ago. I think it was uh, Brian Rose. He's uh, like an English personal development guy. And he said, um, real when he was, yeah, the, the London Rio, I think he is. And, and he was saying when he started out on his going from business into personal development, he uh, wanted to set up a podcast and he messaged Joe Rogan. And um, he wanted to um, get some advice on how to set up a podcast. And he said the best thing that happened was um, he obviously didn't get a reply from Joe Rogan. He uh, never replied to him. And he's like, that's the best thing that happened to me. Because I was like waiting around for him to tell me what to do to set my podcast up. And he realized like, no one's coming to save me. No one's coming Mm -hmm. to help me. I've got to go and set this stuff up myself. And so when someone's willing to do it, it's like with coaching the people that get the most out of it, they're, they're showing up. They're like, how can I get the most from coaching? What can I do in between sessions? What actions can I take? They're hungry for it. They're willing to do it. It's like the more you bring to what you do in any area of life, the more you give to it, the more you'll get out of it. Um, and that's where it's this like backwards law. Um, I don't know if it's the law of exchange, but it's like the more we give, the more we get back. Um, and if we're willing, like, you know, if you don't have the money or you don't have the, resources if you start you know go, you can get a tony robbins book for free online i'm sure you can download it for free or whatever it's like absolute pages of gold in there that you can get started with um and give 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 and then you'll start to have stuff coming back absolutely i find that um some of the best coaching relationships are you know now that we're doing poker spirit some of the best like you know people who join our team and, and fit into our culture really well it's like they might've seen me suggest a book on Instagram and then they message me and they go, Oh, I'm going to read that. And I, you know, thumbs up. And then if they do, they might say, Hey, you get one of those messages like six months later, Hey, I read this book and Oh my God, it changed my life. And you're like, you already know you like that person. You already know, like probably I could work with this person, you know Um, they already see me as their coach because they're reading the book that I recommended, you know, and they're already like, they want to talk to you about it. You know, it's like, um, I think it's really a powerful thing to, um, to share the, share like the, the things that shaped you and let other people like kind of have their experience with it. And then you have this thing to talk about. I mean, say the, uh, the best teachers tell people where to look, but not what to see. And I really like this. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's true, isn't it? Because ultimately someone will only change if they want to. And it's so funny you mentioned that because, uh, I saw my current coach that, that I'm not just started working with. Um, they were reading this book and I noticed they're reading it um online and i just snap bought the book and read i read half of it and um we're working together and they're like um hey can you read this book before our first session and i was like yeah sure i'm halfway through it already because it's like that's that's the the level of being in tune it's like i'm hungry for it i want to know what they're reading what how are they operating at the level that they're operating at how are they performing at that level what are they consuming what are they doing i want to get all of that so i can bring that into what I'm doing and where I'm going. Absolutely. I mean, imagine you getting coached by Tony Robbins and then like you're on a call with him and you can see the book at his table. I for sure be like zooming in on the camera. Like what book is he reading? You know what I mean? Cause I want to be like, I want to be like getting from the highest source, you know? Um, so I, I think that's a good question. Like rather than just kind of listening to, to people where they say like, like what do they learn from, you know, like kind of like, you know, getting into the, the game yourself, so to speak. Um, and then you can have like a more of a, a parallel conversation, you know, um, I can help someone 
you know, connect dots in their own understanding of a material much better if they also have like their own understanding rather than if you're on a coaching call kind of explaining it to somebody. And, you know, somebody's paying for coaching. It's like you're going through teaching them things that they would learn for themselves if they read the book. And then you can have like a higher level discussion and get like just further faster. Um, and also the person be well on the way to good mindset and good habits if they had a, you know, small ingest good knowledge every day habit. Yeah, yeah, for sure. There, there's a book that I found online. It's like, I want to call it like a backstreet book. It's just like, it's not one you're going to find on Amazon or in the shops or anything. And I just got very lucky that I discovered it in my very deep, deep research that I often do when I go down a wormhole and I was looking at responsibility and personal power. And I've got, and then I found, come, come across this book and um, it's like found it and got it in PDF um, format. And I read it and it was like, wow, never seen things explained that way. And, and especially the topics were around like, letting go of judgment and building self-confidence and self-esteem. And then um, I started sending it to clients and because I, we would be talking about like how to let go of judgment and I could see where it's showing up and they're reading it and then getting it because they're taking the time to like digest this in between calls. And then they're coming back like, oh yeah, things are really shifting. They're having like big transformations and then the relationships are changing. And it's because we're talking about it and then they're going even deeper with their it's even if they're getting like a, a definition of it or an, a deeper understanding or somebody else, the author's presenting it in a different way and it hits them. And then all of a sudden that's happening. And then that's happening multiple times with multiple people. It's, it's great. But as a coach, we're really like a guide of transformation. You know, the person has a transformation they want to make. They have like uh, problems that they need to solve. And we're not there to solve the problems for them directly. You know, like they have to do the work and they have to go through the process themselves because they're the one whose habit, emotions and soul has to evolve. So, you know, you get clients where you recommend them a book and they're like, thank you. And they like want to finish it before your next session. And then you get clients who like, you know, you try to guide them to, you know, maybe learn more about the topics you're discussion, discussing outside in their own time and they don't do that work. And, you know, those people just end up taking a lot longer to develop. Like when you have somebody who's, you know, wanting to go at full speed, you know, not, not rushing, but just wanting to do the work outside of the sessions and, and wanting to let you guide them through their own version of a transformation rather than kind of dictate to them what the transformation should be. I think that's, um, those are the best coaching relationships. Yeah. And ultimately it is, you know, it's down to, someone people work at different paces and that's why you know there's not a one-size-fits-all model someone can come in and create huge shifts in a matter of weeks whereas it might take somebody else months it's just the the, the level that they're open to one of the first agreements that i make with clients when they come on is to be open and coachable and we have a deep discussion about what that means so that we're both super clear on it because it's an agreement that i really want to make because if they're not open and coachable the relationship won't work and they won't get the best results and i don't want to um take somebody on if they're not going to get great results that's what we're both both there for um but the more open somebody is the more coachable they are um the more willing they are to let go of the things that are in their way and um operate at new levels of behavior and thinking that will match the results that they want to create i, I love that approach is i mean we could go so many different directions and so many topics for so long like uh, talking about like coaching agreements and what are good agreements to have. 
Um, I've got a couple questions here I, I want to try to go through and then we'll wrap up here because we've been wrapping for like two and a half hours. I'm sure you're uh, needing to get some sleep over there in England. <laughs> yeah, we'll need to sleep at some point. Yeah. I've got a, a very honest question for you. It's something I've been talking about with the other coaches on my team, and I'm not really sure. Um, I, I've got, I think I'm going to trial it, but I'm not sure if it, like, um, I'll just explain. <laughs> Sorry, it's like word vomit. But basically, I've had this idea about coaching. I always learned that when you're working with somebody, it's very important to kind of ask questions so that the person can kind of come to the solution on their own, right? And, uh, you know, so like, okay, so like, you know, how does that make you feel? And when that happens, you know, but it is sometimes, um, while it's always ideal for the person to have an epiphany of what they need to change for themselves, there are clearly situations in which you just know exactly what they should do and you want to tell them. Do you think it's possible to start a coaching relationship and explain this kind of dichotomy that like, as a coach, you know, I generally want you to come to realizations for yourself. However, you know, there's so many topics we can work on and there's so much I want to do with you and our sessions are only so long. So there are cases where it might be more expedient to just be like, hey, stop doing this, do this instead. Like, if you agree with the person ahead of time, that in those situations, you're just gonna be like, can I have a, can I be direct? You know, and they say yes. And they say, okay, look, you need to stop doing this. Just stop tomorrow. Don't do it again. You know, you need to start doing this. Like do this every day. Um, do you think that could work? Or do you think it always has to be kind of leading them to the epiphany for themselves? Yeah, that's really, really great question. Especially because like pure coaching is always, is not leading and it's asking open questions and it's let them letting the client figure it out because it's very empowering. But Ultimately, as a as a coach, we've got lots of tools in our toolkit. And if we can see something they can't see and speed up the process, then why not offer that? And one of the things I'll ask people quite often early in the coaching relationship is like, um, I might want to challenge and provoke your thinking and challenge you. And I'm on your team. I want to help you get the results that you want to get. But ultimately, I might challenge the way you're seeing the world. And I'll ask like if they're open to that, because what I'm constantly doing as a coach is seeking permission. I'm seeking permission from the client of like, can I ask you a question? Is that, is that okay? Does that work? Um, can I offer you something? And if I ask someone, can I offer you something? They say, yes, then I'm just going to offer it to them. Right. Cause they're, they're open to it. Some people might say, no, <laughs> can I offer you something? They're like, no, I'm not open to it. It's like, fair enough. But I think, you know, if someone's going to go and they're about to like stick their hand into a fire that they can't see, I think it's helpful to tell them that they're about to do it. And um, if we can save somebody a whole bunch of time in doing that um, and they're open to it, then then, yeah, I think what makes this really effective, is I think we spoke earlier about rapport is connection. If we're really connected and in service of the client um, and we've got that that relationship, then I think that's all on the table if we don't have that connection, we can offer them something, but it's literally like, you know, um, trying to shout it at somebody behind um, uh, soundproof glass, Yeah, you know, like, hey, you need to go read this book. And they're like, yeah, 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 yeah. And then just off they go. But if we're like, hey, um, there's a book that can change your life. Are you open to hearing about it and reading it? And they're like, yeah. And you're like, here you go. 
Um, and I think that balance of like helping them have the epiphanies and the discoveries, if that's the option and we've got it available, then yeah. But if we're going to waste a whole session making that happen when we could offer somebody something that we can see in five minutes, it's like making the judgment call on what's the what you think the best thing of in service of that person is. I'm going to go ahead and trial this. You know, I'm going to go ahead and collect the sample of uh, asking people if I have permission to be to be real with them for a minute. And uh, mm. I, I think it's going to go well, um, especially because now, like working in poker spirit, a lot of the time I am working with guys that I've known for a long time and have relationships with them for like, you know, upwards of a year. So I think like when your relationship with someone is like, be, isn't new, like you've been working together for three months, six months, nine months, a year and a half, like it just gets easier to be like, hey, can can I tell you something, you know, or like, can I do I have your permission to be direct about something? Um, and, it, you know, it's not like a performance check. Sometimes you can see when someone's like bullshitting themselves or they're making something a lot more difficult than it needs to be. And you just want to step in and say, hey, look, you can do this and you could do this tomorrow. You know, you don't need to build up to it. You don't need to make this a whole big thing. You know, like you could just decide today, like make a clear and committed decision. You're going to do this from now on and then like just do it, you know. Uh, make a consequence if you need to, but like, like letting them know they're capable to make it easy. Um, it's kind of, and it's interesting. Like you talk a lot about how coaching is the art of ask, asking questions. And I really feel that like the quality of questions that a person asks really determines like the outcome and the quality of their life. And just like many people don't ask these questions, like, where do I want to be? Who do I want to become? Like what ideal life would I like to be living three years from today? These kind of questions that Tony Robbins will kind of bring out of people in his book. I feel like a lot of times, like, you know, we don't ask like, how would this look if it was easy? And this is one of my favorites. I got it from, I think James Wedmore is a business coach. But just like when, when you have a problem, like, how would it look if it was easy? Like, if I had to solve this problem without it being difficult, what would, what would a simple solution look like? And for a lot of guys, like in coaching, it's like they think their problems are so difficult, you know, and so intricate. And it's like, maybe you just need to breathe and go for a walk and then like make a decision in five minutes, you know, and just live with the fact that it might not be a perfect decision. Mm, yeah, we, you know, because when we're trying to force it and we're really stressed, it's like that smoke you talked about earlier when that's all there. We just can't see options that are that are available to us. I remember this like clearly when uh, when I was studying for my master's in psychology, I would like work super hard and then I'd work all the way through the evening and like past 6, 7 p.m. and I'd have been studying from like 9 a.m. I was just like so tired that I was trying to memorize stuff or learn stuff and it's like I couldn't I could barely see the the words on the paper and it's like everything I was doing then was in, in ineffective and I'd go to bed wake up in the morning and then I'd start my study at nine. I'm like, whoa, it's like looking at a different sheet of paper. And it's just, then I realized I, I'm going to stop studying in the evening. And so I had a cutoff point at 6 p.m. And it was amazing because then I had space. I'd get up and I'd study the next morning and the people that were doing what I was doing were burning out and they ended up like messing up the exams and it didn't go well. And it's like when we're putting ourselves under that pressure, we can't really see things so so clearly. So creating that space um, gives us an opportunity to kind of see it a little bit clearer a little bit later on. So it's, it's a really good strategy. Yeah, I agree. Um, well, you just said your cutoff time is 6 p.m. And I know it's about midnight your time. So let me uh, let me fire my last two questions for you and we'll, we'll call it a day. Um, we spoke a lot about the white sheet of paper, right? Like writing down where you want to be. 
you talked about writing down and kind of manifesting your wife, priming your mind for who you, the values you were looking for in another person and the, the way you wanted your life to shape. You know, that was 2016 to now. Um, what does 2030 look like for John? 2030? Yeah, seven more years. You know, this is your cat. Wow. spell, make a yeah. wish. I don't need a complete yeah. vision, but tell me something. Cool. So 2030 looks like um, definitely having a, a book out in the world. I quite often, there's a lot of things that I'll work on with people or I'll share and having a book out that has, you know, I can just say, go read this. And that can, you know, rather than like, go and read the power now and go and read it. It's like, go and read. These are all the mistakes I made and how I learned from them. Or these are real um, powerful insights that I've learned that I think could be useful for you if you're open to them. And being able to have that as something to offer people would be super exciting. So by that time, I'd like to to have a book. Um, we would have, I mean, I love the house that we're in now, but we may well have like moved, upgraded to a bigger house. Um, at that point, um, I would see myself still doing what I'm doing, but probably work with fewer clients at that point. Um, at the moment, I work with, fair amount of people and i'd probably have fewer clients be doing more writing more traveling um running more live workshops doing more face-to-face stuff i think that's where it's going to be for me is coming offline i've done all 90 plus percent of my work online um but working with people in workshops and in person and doing that work um there's a, a a group of poker players that i work with um called seven goats and um I went out to Warsaw in Poland and did some work with them face to face and really, really enjoyed it. It was really, really fun um, and doing more of that. So that that's what that would look like for me. And then. Um, yeah, I think just having a bit more time and space as well to 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 do even more creation. A lot of that is. Um, I know this It's funny because I think that that's probably for me, not 2030. That's probably. 2025. 2027 i and then i don't know what i'll be able to see for 2030 because it's not even available from my level of awareness now like each year as i'm growing and then more stuff's becoming available then that will open up i know i spoke to a coach maybe two or three years ago and like the idea of the book was something i said but i didn't really think it's possible for me but now i'm like i know that's super possible um so that's something that i want to lean into and also doing the more traveling more live workshops as well yeah, I mean, that sounds like an awesome plan. I'm, I'm happy to uh, to bear witness to it. Um, you heard it here first, first folks. Uh, and I, yeah, I mean, I definitely would love to do more stuff live and in person. I got that uh, feeling some years back. And even at this, I don't know if it's a stage in life, but like even going and playing live poker now is like way more enjoyable to me than it was when I was younger. I think just the number of amount of time behind the computer kind of catches up with you. And um, you just want to do more stuff with people. I mean, life is meant to be shared and enjoyed with other humans. And um, while, you know, it's really enjoyable to have deep conversations like this over Zoom, it'd be even more fun to have it over a coffee table, you know? Mm. So Yeah, for sure. Include me, invite me. I want to go. Um, yeah, well, there could definitely be a collaboration for sure in the future, a live event. I could see that. Maybe Vegas. Yeah, I could see that too. All right, the last question, Okay. But this is a trick, just three parts, but it's easy. Um, well, I hope it's easy. So if you had to decide like 
three lessons to leave with people. Like there's this book, The Last Lecture. And this is a question I kind of plan to ask every guest, right? Um, this guy, he finds out he has terminal cancer and he's he's going to pass away. And um, they ask him, like they had this exercise at Harvard. I've kind of ruined the story here. But basically they would always ask professors who are about to get tenure to give a lecture as if they were dying to tell the people the things that they would want to share with them if it was the last chance to communicate with them, right? And this is the end of our podcast, our, your last chance to communicate with the audience for today. And it's funny because I asked this guy and he actually did have cancer. And he's like, well, I actually am terminal. So then he did it anyway. And it was like really real, you know? It's an amazing book. The talk is on YouTube. I actually like the book even better than the talk um, because it goes through the whole process about how he put the talk together when his time was running out. He was trying to balance spending time with his family, but he like really took this assignment seriously. So um, I just really think it's a really great exercise to imagine like, you know, you're, you're, you're in the process of the book, right? Like you're, the, the idea of Genesis is there, you know, you're going to be bringing this to the world by 2025. I mean, there's got to be some themes in that book that you just like, look, if you got my book and that's all you got for me, like, these are three things you're going to know. Mm, yeah. Great, great question. So in terms of like the most powerful things that that I can offer somebody is like, Number one is to just get super present to the fact that you're not who you think you are. I think we constantly kind of remind ourselves of that and get grounded in that. What it opens up is like, it, it opens up us to be free from our limitations, right? There's there's a term in acceptance and commitment therapy called cognitive diffusion, right? And it's really like getting present to rather than being our thoughts and our feelings, it's just being witness to the thoughts and feelings not being run by them so rather than like i i am anxious it's just saying i'm having feelings of anxiety so having one thing i'd really recommend is just having that level of cognitive diffusion like that separation in space observerness between what you're thinking feeling and then who you are that's just like this when we're there and we have that as a way of being it just opens up a whole bunch of possibilities so that's like number one that i would say get in there and start with number two is um the stance of like taking total responsibility for yourself and your life like all the results everything that's happening it's just the most empowering place to come from because i remember for years and years and still the belief creeps up on me that someone's going to come and save me someone's going to come and 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 sort it for me or figure it out or this golden opportunity is going to come but ultimately things can manifest but they only manifest when we've started to create them ourselves by who we're being and what we're doing. And the only way we can have power and agency in that is by taking like uh, total responsibility for ourselves and our lives. And it's a choice. It's not like you have to do it. I mean, we can't escape the consequences of our lives. Like if we sit on the sofa or if we go out working hard, they're both going to have different consequence consequences that we can't escape. So if we take total responsibility for ourselves, it opens up a whole different world of like options that weren't available before. And it's just great. It's like a personal power. That's really at the heart of it. Um, and the third thing would be, um, I'm probably going to cheat here and offer like a couple of things in, in together, but one would be like unconditional self-acceptance. So is to have an acceptance of ourselves with all our thoughts, with all our feelings, with our actions, um, and always be on our own team. So it's like, even when I mess up and other people judge me, I'm still going to accept myself and be okay with myself. Even when I succeed or when I fail, I'm still going to be okay with myself. 
And what that springboards us to do and makes available is then we can start taking more risks. And this is why I'm going to cheat and add two on is like, do the things that you really are curious about doing or that you want to do. Don't wait till you're ready. Don't wait till you have enough money or resources or whatever else it is. Just go and do it. Like when I knew, like deep in my heart that I wanted to have a kid, I spoke with my wife and like really want to have kids. And we were at that point as like, let's go for it. There's no like right timing as much as I would have loved to have a September baby. So they'd be oldest in the year. We was like, no, we're just going to go for it now because do you know what? We're going to die one day. And I was like, well, I want kids. What if I'm going to die? Like next week in a car crash, I'd rather have had a kid and had that moment of joy rather than miss out on it. And it's like, life's happening fast. You know, like we think we've got all the time in the world but the things we want to do aren't going to happen unless we go out and do them now. I remember like speaking to my granddad. Um, he's no longer here, but like, you know, years ago now we spoke and I, and I said to him, like, what advice do you give me? And he said, uh, look, you're old, uh, you're, you're old, you're young. Like he was in his nineties at this point. He's like, I can't do anything. I'm sat here. I want to dance. I want to run around. I want to travel the world. I used to be able to do that. And now I can't do it. And he's like, you're young, you're, you're free. You've got everything available to you. Go and do all the things you want to do. Cause when you get to my age, if you're lucky enough to get to it, you won't be able to do that anymore. And it's like, we need to take those risks now and do all of those things now, because um, ultimately like what's the worst that can happen. We look stupid. We fail. Well, I would much rather have taken a shot and failed than not tried at all. Because the only people that are going to criticize us are the people that aren't trying. Is that the scene? That's that's it, yeah. That was beautiful. All right, well, thank you so much for sharing all that with our listeners. Um, There were so many nuggets in there. Like, this is a podcast I would... I feel like this might blow some people's minds. I mean, I feel like it reminded me of so many things that I like didn't even remember that I that I knew that I didn't even remember that I'd been through. And so many things I'm like, holy shit, like understanding that sooner would have saved me so much time. So I really hope that this is getting into the earbuds and headphones of the people who can benefit from it. And if people want to hear more of you, where can they find John the Perception Coach? Yeah, so um, you can find me on Instagram at The Perception Coach, which is my um, handle that I go by. If you're not on social media, you can find me at the website, theperceptioncoach.com. There should be a link to my email there. And I've also got a podcast. I've got two podcasts. So I've got one. One is The Perception Coach podcast. And the last episode is with James. So definitely go check that out. Um, And I've also got a podcast called Smashing It. Uh, with a friend of mine called Chris and we talk about transformation on there so lots of different ways to find me connect with me um, come say hi if you've if you listen to this podcast and it resonated let me know that you listened to it and um, yeah come say hi give him a follow give him a dm and uh, yeah go from there thank you so much John for your time this was a marathon podcast um, I really appreciate you sticking with me I know it's late over there and um, yeah I can't I'm super excited for this one to come out I think it's uh you know, full of nuggets for all the people out there. So I really enjoyed having this conversation with you and just uh, thanks again for your time. Thanks so much, James. All right, cheers.